Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray, and I have one Larry Parsons of Rank and Review here. Been a little while, probably was my 50th was maybe the last uh, episode you were on. We were struggling with the video uh, for that, so this is the first episode where we've actually been in the same room that I'm recording a podcast, but uh, using this, this mic that I dug up, our, our sound might be, a, even though we are right over top of the mic, our sound might be a little bit quieter for whatever reason that I can't figure out. But it's uh, it's great to have you here, and we are doing a tribute episode to Ray Liotta, an actor who I think uh, died way too soon, and he basically died on set. He was working right up until the end, and uh, he's an actor that I've always loved, We'll get to sort of maybe your experience with him first, and then I'll tell you how I I kind of eased into uh, learning about Ray Liotta. So, what's your kind of your first memory of a Ray Liotta film? Well, he'd been around beforehand, but obviously, I mean, Goodfellas was his like golden ticket into Hollywood. I mean, it's yeah, like we're going to talk about the movie, but as far as like I know he has been in movies before this, but as far as Welcome to Hollywood or like, world introducing Ray Liotta. You couldn't ask yeah. for a more glorious, it's not his debut, but a more in- glorious introduction for him. I mean, if not for the presence of Joe Pesci, uh, who who does everything he can to try to steal the movie from Ray Liotta, I don't think he does successfully, but uh, it's his movie, and it's still his movie. It is, yeah. De Niro's in it, and he's great. Pesci's in it, and he's great. You know, like, everybody who's in it is great, but it's Liotta's movie, and you knew when you watched the movie, you knew two things. This is a great movie, and Ray Liotta's got the goods. Yes, he did. And as I understand it, like the, the evolution uh, of getting that role was Jonathan Demme's Something Wild, which he, he was in. And this is kind of the story of his career, a secondary, antagonistic, tough guy type of character. And he was given this path to Goodfellas in between Field of Dreams, you know, playing Shoeless Joe Jackson, which has been reviewed on the podcast. Um, And I think that's, I'm trying to think if I saw that first. I think I saw that one first. Then Unlawful Entry was after that. I'm not sure when I first saw Goodfellas. I've lost track. Those three movies were the ones where I was like, this guy's really interesting. He's got this face, which is very unique, Uh, this great voice. Um, he can kind of build up to this kind of angry crescendo quite well, but he can also be very charming. And I think that that was the case all throughout his career. I might argue when we get, you know, to talk at Goodfellas, spoilers, as part of this episode, not really spoilers, but you'll find <laughs> out in a few minutes here. Um, but, and it wouldn't be a Ray Liotta show without Goodfellas. But there might be a little bit of a thing where Goodfellas typecast him in certain roles. The rest of his career were either uh, cops, a lot of them corrupt cops, or gangsters. Yeah. And that right up until, I know he, I think there's more movies to come yet that haven't been released yet because he, he worked a lot. Um, but I, of course, saw him in, I mentioned on your show the last time I was on there, Cocaine Bear. Which, which I did see now. Yeah, to, to this day is, is still my favorite movie of the year, but I haven't seen a lot of recent movies, so maybe that's part of it. But um yeah, he's playing a tough guy in that in that one too. Um, even though it's kind of uh, comedic and cartoonish, what he's doing in there, and he could play those notes really well. And I actually think he's a pretty good comedic actor. He wasn't always 
kind of given that chance. He was a little bit in, in some scenes in Goodfellas, yeah. playing off of Pesci in particular, uh, among among some others. But I also think of I want to say is it John Carnahan's movie Narc? Yes, is that Carnahan? <clears throat> that was a highlight for him. Yes, I think. Uh, I want to say it anyway, yeah, because uh, that was a movie that like came and went really quickly, and yes. it's sort of like it is the ultimate Ray Liotta corrupt cop movie. Like, like you said, he played a lot of them. I was kind of curious, like, as to your logic of like which movies you picked for the tribute. In a way, it made sense to have him in a very much supporting role as a corrupt cop. We have a couple of those, yeah, here. a few of them, yes. Um, but like, yeah, I, th- I thought of Narc, but I also thought of some of the surprisingly soft things <clears> he did. My boys and I are big fans of the Muppets. Yeah. Ray Liotta is in not one, but two Muppet movies. He's in Muppets Most Wanted and Muppets from Space. And I don't, like, I think if that happens, it's you're there because you enjoy working on set with the Muppets. Yes. And when people have this picture of Ray Liotta in their head, they don't <laughs> figure this guy who would think it would be a, a lark to work with puppets, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other movie that I often think of, and it's strange because... It's not one of my favorite movies, particularly. There's this Johnny Depp biopic called Blow. Yes, he's very good in that. Too. And he's just a dad who's worried for his son. And there's this scene that is like the scene I remember from the movie, where Johnny Depp is finally old enough where he can sort of be honest with his father, who's Ray Liotta. And he says, the thing is, Dad, I'm really good at this. I'm really, really good at this. That's right. And Ray Liotta responds, yes, son, but you would have been good at anything. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, part of it was the writing, but I just always <coughs> remember that scene. And it's kind of this, like, bonding father-son scene. And it's not the kind of work that people associate with Ray Liotta. And he was completely capable of yeah. it. He had more range than he was given the opportunity to show. But um, Yeah. And and I, I just wish it had tra- and, you know, transitioned into more leading roles. Yes. Um, we, we are going to be talking about Unforgettable, where he is given a leading role. Um and again, there's he he plays a cop in that one too, with uh, some some dark sides to it as well. But um, yeah, to to explain my list, because you know, there's one movie that we're gonna be talking about. This seems to be my trend. <laughs> I did a Jack Lemmon show. Uh, there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger show as well. Um, I, I've had a few of these these episodes uh, where I feature an actor, but. I have one of the movies where it's a very brief appearance, but it's it's almost the thing where I'm I'm trying to see if even in a brief appearance is this actor as memorable. Um, with Jack Lemmon, it was Shortcuts, and he right. was so key to the transition into the second half of Shortcuts with his his section. So um, whether the the scene that Leota has in uh, Sin City, uh, Dame to Kill for, changed that movie as much, but um, the other piece is, this is the shelf-shedding movie show, and it's movies that I own. It has to be out of your collection. It had to be out of my collection. Not always, but uh, sometimes I'll, I'll actually buy ones to kind of fill that out. So some of the movies that you mentioned there, I don't have a, a physical copy, copy of right. uh, to do this. So I was grabbing the ones that I had and taking some from other shows to kind of put this together. After Leota died, I wanted to kind of do a... A show and so on. Because really, he has way more to do in Cocaine Bear than he does in, in, in Sin City, uh, you know. Yeah. I also wanted to shout out this movie called Local Color, which isn't particularly great, where he plays this kind of intolerant father, again, kind of the other side of Blow, mm-hmm. where in this one, his son wants to be an artist and learn how to draw and dance, and he's like, 
he's got these lines where he's so ignorant, he's kind of funny. It's like, it's not bad enough that this woman's going to turn you gay, but she's going to turn you commie, too. <laughs> like, he's just <laughs> yeah. so over the yeah. top with it. And there's I also, have not seen that. That sounds... Well, honestly, he's like, the reason to yeah. watch the movie. It's very blah. So, but I just remembered it because it was a kind of different, funny-ish role for him. Yeah. And there was, I don't know if it was direct-to-video, it was a movie called Control with uh, um, Rodriguez, and um, he played this guy who's, what's her name, uh, from the Fast and Furious movies. I Michelle Rodriguez? Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. And uh, he's in it, Ray Liotta's in it, and he's like this mental patient who's getting this outpatient experimental thing to sort of make it safe for this dangerous physical man to be in the world. And it's one of the roles where he plays someone who is like intimidatingly, frighteningly dangerous on site. Yes. <laughs> like, where you're just like, yikes. He did a sort of similar thing in the Iceman movie with Michael Shannon. That's right, yeah. Where he's this terrible gangster who's like, go kill a homeless person for me so I can see that you have chutzpah or whatever. But, um, I don't know, I like, like, scary Leota. Me, me too. We get yeah. scary Leota in Unlawful Entry, but, uh, Control is another good example of yeah. that. And the Iceman, although it's very much a supporting role again, similar thing. He's mm-hmm. not on screen very much, but you hate him. Yeah. You hate him. So I feel like I need to put another few hundred dollars down on a few of these movies that you were talking about. Maybe I need to put together a, I don't mean to a, a, second, a second show, but <laughs> I, um, yeah, that, that was just kind of what, what I had to put together uh, for this. And, and it's now been more than a year since he died, so yeah. I, you know... Time is flying for sure on this one. The movies that we're going to talk about, we pretty much, uh, I think we've alluded to almost all of them. Not all of them, but uh, we are going to start off with Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, uh, the movie that I agree really made his career. Um, And then we're going to take a look at a a very brief appearance in Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, We're going to take a look at uh, a movie uh, called Identity. Uh, That should be an interesting conversation there. Yeah, James Mangold, who, of course, the director of the new Indiana Jones movie there. So, um, And then Unlawful Entry, and I, I will have a lot to say about Unlawful Entry. Um, it, it's one of the movies I, I consider a gateway drug into later horror. It's more of a psychological, psycho-thriller type of thing. Um, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll have a lot to say about that one. Um, then we're going to take a look at The Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, Derek Cien France, I think is how you pronounce that. Or Cien France. This um, was a first time watch for me. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Oh, it's rare to get a first time watch. Yeah. So that, that'll be, this is, yeah, it was not, none of these were first time watches for me. And then we're going to end off um, with John Dahl's Unforgettable, with also with Linda Fiorentino there. So Anybody remember Unforgettable? Anybody remember Unforgettable? <laughs> I did. I did. I, I I sought that movie out for years, and when I finally got one, got it, I was just thrilled to finally see it. Like I, well, I saw it back in the day. I probably rented it or something, but then to have my uh, my own copy of it. So it was an interesting experience. It was like I'd seen it before but forgotten it. So mm-hmm. as I was watching it, I was like remembering it as I was watching it. It was. Very dreamlike. <laughs> it has that effect. So the, the title "Unforgettable" is maybe a little bit ironic, but they're making um, too easy. Yeah. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about Mr. Leota before we uh, get going? Just that it's really too bad because he was young by yeah. our standards, and like uh, he 
he was good at what he did, and I do think there was plenty more for him to show us. And I think more sides for him to show us. Yes, I know he could be tough guy Ray Liotta, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of dimensions to the tough guys he could bring us. I think he was also a skilled comedic actor, yes. and I think there was a lot more that he could have brought to us. So yeah. the, that's the thing. When I when I looked at this list, I was like questioning, I like, well, he's barely in this movie, Jason, but it's like, I don't know. I guess I can't help because I, too, host a podcast. What would I have chosen? And I yeah. would have chosen different There were a bit some different movies, yeah. and, and that, that's fair enough, and I get, I get that. And even afterwards, late in the process, I found another one in my collection I could have thrown in instead, but... Right. Yeah, and, but we'll but we'll, no, I we'll think do what we can. I mean, you know, still interesting movies to talk about. Hopefully, we got a whole podcast to talk about Ray Liotta. So I say yeah, let's, let's that, that's it. that's a good thing. My last thought on this: I know you don't care about the Academy Awards that much, but he should have been nominated at some point for something. Yeah, agreed. Never ride on your friends, and always keep your mouth shut. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hey, Mom, what do you think? You look like a gangster. I know I By the time I grew up, there was 30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport. And believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. What do you do? I'm in construction. He's not Jewish. Mazel tov. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Hey, Henry. Here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Here's a leg. Here's a wing. <laughs> what do you like, the leg or the wing? For us to live any other way was nuts. <laughs> and we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. It's going to be a good summer. <laughs> it was a glorious time. On the streets where the violent have power, a new generation carries on an old tradition. I think I'm going to shock you here, Larry, and I'm going to tell you that we're going to start off with the best movie of the list. Uh, it's by this little-known filmmaker named Martin Scorsese, who... I have gone on the record as considering the greatest filmmaker in the history of cinema. Some people might disagree with me on this, but... Um, He's one of our greatest living directors. I will meet you with that for sure. Yeah, I, I, Living or otherwise, I just... He's, I, I, I've, I've put that, you know, put yep. that flag into the moon now, and so I'm... I, I'm sticking with it until he proves otherwise. I mean, he's he's getting up there in age. I'm interested what the next movie is going to be like here. But um, Goodfellas, no doubt, is one of the... One of many high watermarks. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you can make the argument in the 70s he had Taxi Driver. In the 80s he had Raging Bull. And in the 90s he had Goodfellas. Um, there were many influential movies in the 90s. But I might say that Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction are probably the two most influential Certainly, uh, before this, we had the Godfather films as far as the gangster film, but Goodfellas changed everything, and it led to a lot of copycats. Uh, and it is, people forget sometimes that it is the story of Henry Hill, played by Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta is the lead. Robert De Niro is given top billing. Yeah. I think that's a marketing piece. Robert De Niro, his relationship with Scorsese, 
uh, and the fact they could get him for this role, which is really a, a, a very good but secondary role. It is clearly It was Ray Liotta was the lead yeah. in this film. I get them packaging it that way. Ray Liotta was nobody when this movie came out. And, you know, King of Comedy, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Mean yeah. Streets. This is how you sell the movie. It's the next Scorsese De Niro thing. The catch is, is that it's Liotta's movie. Yeah, it is Liotta's movie. I could even see an argument for Queen Pesci as the as the lead name there. He was known again. I think this this made him even bigger. I mean, Lethal Weapon Two was a big step for him. Home Alone the same year. Home Alone was the same year as like one of the craziest characters in the history of cinema that he that he plays uh, in this movie. And people knew of him critically at least from Raging Bull as playing De Niro's brother. But again, this this made Joe Pesci a god. I think. Um, this gave Ray Liotta a lifetime of work, not a long enough lifetime, unfortunately. Um, and it solidified that Scorsese, who didn't always have the easiest time in the 80s, Raging Bull aside, and I mean, you know, people weren't like, people were willing to protest The Last Temptation of Christ, but I'm not sure how many, it wasn't like a as big a movie as some of the other ones that we're talking about. He had a lot of great artistic achievements. I love the movie After Hours. I've reviewed it on the show. Um, I think that's one of the, like the, the great unsung great highlights. And I think he was thinking about quitting uh, filmmaking around that time. He was really depressed, and like you know, um, Griffin Dunn went and you know helped convince him to do this movie. And he had such a great time doing it. Then he you know continued on Color of Money. He finally got the financing and was able to do Last Temptation because that was the thing he was depressed about. Is Everything fell apart in the early 80s. And we get back. I don't think he wanted to do a, a gangster movie again. But Nicholas Pelleggi and, you know, this this interest in um, in this kind of in the mid 80s, this uh, this novel brought him back into that world again. And as a, he saw it very much as a follow up to to uh, Raging Bull. And drag kicking and screaming into making one of the best movies yeah, of the nineties. That, that that happens a lot. Yeah. You hear the the backstory on like these the movies that have uh, made these directors. They sometimes hesitate or they don't really want to do them. And I, you know, I think that's I, I'm glad that he made it, uh, and I'm glad it's continued. I still like his crime films, but I am also intrigued with the, you know, when he takes a look at world religions and he looks at Kundun and. Uh, and silence, and you know, but this isn't a Martin Scorsese podcast. No, I, I, you know, I've, I have talked about him a lot before. Um, we can this is about, about Ray Liotta. We can talk about Goodfellas uh, and Ray Liotta. Yeah. Can I say one thing about Goodfellas? Sure. Just, just as a Coen Brothers fan, that pisses me off. <laughs> it came out the same year as, as Miller's, Miller's Crossing, Crossing. and yes. I honestly believe yes. that if there wasn't another amazing gangster movie that year, that Miller's Crossing would have got a lot more attention. Look, I concede that Goodfellas is like a more real world and in many ways better movie than Miller's Crossing. But as a Coen Brothers fan and defender, I just love the screenplay to Miller's Crossing so much. <laughs> like, I could just close my yes. eyes and listen to that movie. <laughs> like, I just love it. Um, and, yes, I get that the, that the attention at the time was mysteriously about De Niro and less mysteriously about Pesci. But anyone who watched the movie, whether they clocked it in the front of their mind or not, knows that this is Ray Liotta's movie. Yes, it is. Like, we start with his character as a kid, yes. and we follow him through his entire career with an organized crime. And you mentioned 
Godfather earlier. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of what gangster movies. That was the the measure to which all gangster movies were held by. Yeah. But as much as I love The Godfather, we talked about Godfather too on my yes. podcast. It is romanticized, and the thing about Goodfellas is it is an yeah. unromantic portrait of gangster life. It is vicious. Even though it's portrayed as being excited, the mm-hmm. little kid just loves the idea of being a gangster. Yeah. The opening line says, ever since I was a little kid, all I ever wanted to be was a gangster. Yeah. Right after opening the trunk with a bloody with a man, bloody corpse and we see Pesci stabbing away at this this guy, and you're like, that, I mean, I was young enough when I first saw this that I was shocked. By the violence. That, like, yeah. that, that opening scene, I was shocked. And I was, I was trying to remember, and I was writing down notes of different points in here where I was just shocked by the violence. I, I, I'm kind of glad I saw it at that time. Yeah. Now to see a movie with this kind of violence, I, you know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, gangster it's movie. It's a gangster movie. Very stylized, nice, but I, I wouldn't be as surprised to see, you know, this level of, of violence. And it, it is shocking. And, and the other thing was, it was, it was violence with some comedy and a smile. Like, whereas I, as, as a kid watching it, I thought they were all kind of being friendly to each other, and suddenly, out of nowhere, a character uh, stabs somebody and kicks somebody to death. Yeah. You know, and it was just, wow, like, this, this, this is cold. So the first act makes it look really attractive, and you're part of a family, because at home, Henry Hill was beaten by his father and berated by his father... Uh, and then he found other father figures, and he found brothers, and you can understand you can understand why people get into this, we talk about the modern gang lifestyle, because of not having a sense of belonging from their, you know, nuclear family, you know? But this whole idea that they talk about, that the, the gangsters, the good fellows, look at everyone like you and I as suckers. Mm. Yeah. Like, we don't have the balls to rob people and just take what <clears throat> we want and live a life of luxury. But when you look closer, they don't particularly live a life of luxury. Anything they steal, they have to give a percentage of back to Polly. Yeah. And uh, they don't seem to share the wealth with their wives or the, each other. They don't like they like being gangsters, and yet they don't seem happy. Yes. Uh, there is like the glamorous lifestyle, but a very unglamorous portrayal of their day to day operation. Like you could see the movie and be energized, it, but you don't want to be these people, and. Not only is Ray Liotta in basically every scene of the movie, yes. but any scene he's not in, he's narrating. Yes. I remember the first time I watched the movie in the early 90s being really off-put that at the end of the movie, the narration actually becomes on camera. He's behind the stand, and then all of a sudden you realize that the, what he's saying isn't testimony. It's the narration. He gets up, he walks out from behind the bench and starts talking to the camera, Ferris yeah. Bueller style. And like we've been getting the narration for the whole movie, but now this was like something else. Like He just walked out of the screen and started talking directly to yeah. the audience. And at the time, I thought that was weirdly rule-breaking, like... Are you allowed to do that, Scorsese? <laughs> this is 1991, yes. right? Uh, 1990 is when it was released. Right. I think I, I think something happened where they were maybe it was around 88, 89 that they shot it. So it was kind of late late 80s, but it became the kind of the film of the 90s very early on in, in the 90s. You, you mentioned Pauly, uh, Paul, Paul Sorvino. Yep. Uh, this last time, for for whatever reason, I mean, I just sometimes in this movie forget how good he is. And he was really good. And he was another guy. He couldn't think he could do this movie. Like, and he's he, and when he got the role, he thought he was screwing up the film 
and he he talks about watching the movie with his kids, thinking, "This is a disaster." <laughs> I, and and he's he was he was in shock from it, and, and the, like it was probably like four hours later or five hours later, and his his daughters are telling him, "No, this is the best work you've ever done." <laughs> no, it's awful. It's violent. It's like it's going to be a and and then he he realized. I've been part of something remarkable here. Like it's 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 well, interesting how if you're in it, you're you don't see it. You don't see it. Well, there's the line about Polly where he said Polly didn't talk much. Polly doesn't move much, but that's just because Polly doesn't have to move for anyone. So yeah. you could argue that it's a bit of a stoic performance being given here. Mm -hmm. But uh, nobody fucks with Polly. Nobody, nobody questions no. Polly. No. <laughs> like you just no. you 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 do what you're told. And it is understood. And the fact that he's got these lazy eyes and he looks at you so implacably all the time, like, that feeds into it. Yeah. He, like, Paul Savino's apparently was one of the sweetest people in the world. Yeah. That, he wrote that poetry and sang, sang opera. opera. Yeah. It was not, this was not him at all. But then he, he played a lot of, of gangsters after this as a result. The two scenes I most like, there's lots of scenes with him, but that I point out, and to get to the end of the film, I mean, Leota or Henry Hill has betrayed him and done exactly the opposite with the drug stuff. Yeah. They said, you know, you had to do what you had to do in prison, but no more of this stuff. And I need you letting me know if anybody else is doing this. And then when Henry comes to him for a handout at the end and, and then he, he turns his back on him. There's something very powerful about that scene and the, the disappointment in his face. It's, it's just like when, you know, He's not screaming. He's not yelling. I'm disappointed in you. And it's like the maybe the only father he's really had, he, he has let down. And there's something really powerful about that. But the insult to injury is we get to the court scenes late in the film and the look on his face when he's turned a rat and he's, you know, he's ratting out against everybody. Everybody. And uh, it's it's kind of sad, sad to see. And I I don't know. For some reason, I'm feeling bad for this. In, in the context of the movie, this, this is Dawn, really. You know, yeah. yeah. In the context of the movie, he's a rat and he's a villain and he's a terrible person for doing this because we spent the whole movie in his world. In the real world that you and I live in, if he didn't turn on these guys, they were going to kill him. Yes. Like multiple times. <laughs> yeah. There and was Lorraine Bracco, who we haven't talked about yet, you know. They're like, going to kill me unless I turn rat. So I turned rat. And yet. He still thinks of himself yes. as the bad guy. Yes, he does. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, Lorraine Brack was fantastic. Yes, uh, she. You know, I, I, this time I've watched it a lot, so I listened to a commentary, which various. I don't know if you listened to this one with Scorsese and different um, people involved with it, and Lorraine Bracco was this piece, and she she says it's interesting that her career has been defined by these gangsters. First, Goodfellas, and then The Sopranos was the other one that those have been his, her two most successful pieces of work. And I like she's a she got an Academy Award nomination, and she was, you know, I it was a different take. Like I mean, uh, I remember when we reviewed Casino, and you know, I think part of your problem is you know it was kind of a a same type of movie, but. In theory, the Sharon Stone character from Casino is very different from Lorraine Bracco and very different from, say, Kathy Moriarty in, uh, in Raging Bull. She, Women get the short end of the stick in the gangster yeah. stories. And Lorraine Bracco is the exception in, in Goodfellas. And, uh, and Sharon Stone is very much the exception in Casino. I, I've always just thought that Goodfellas was just a way better movie than Casino. 
I, a, I'd agree it's a better movie. There's a I like them both. To but, them, yeah. And that hurts Casino yeah. because we've already seen Goodfellas. But uh, there, there's just such energy to the movie. It just, it's two and a half hours mm-hmm. and it, it's pedal to the metal the whole time. Yeah. And until that last half an hour, when we get to the drug section and Ray Liotta's performance goes up another oh, yeah, level, because he's been great through the whole movie. But the last sequence, when he's paranoid about the helicopter and he's dropping off the guns to the De Niro's house, and he's got this these errands he's running, and it's a wrong, you know, everything's going wrong for yeah. him. He's pouring sweat. He looks like he's about to drop over dead. And we know this is the day that he's going to be like arrested. We can feel this hand closing over him yeah. and. Uh, it's interesting because the movie has its own energy and vibe for the entirety of it, but that last half an hour feels different. I remember when we talked about uh, Boogie Nights and how I stylistically compared them. That's very similar mm-hmm. to Boogie Nights. The last half an hour of Boogie Nights feels very different yeah. than the first two hours of Boogie Nights, but it's still all of the piece. This is just the inevitable downfall. We spent like an hour and a half going up, clickety, 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 <laughs> clickety up on the roller coaster. Yeah. And now our stomachs are about to do a somersault as we drop to the bottom and you feel it. Yeah. And that's 1000% within Ray Liotta's performance. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the script is there for him. Like, yeah. it's not like he's fighting his way through the no, bad dialogue no. or anything like no. that, but he makes it work. He does. Because it's a real tonal change in the movie. And if we didn't go with it, we'd be like, I was really liking it until the last half an hour. And it got kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, he carries us through. And I do put a lot of that on Leota, as much as I do Scorsese. Yes, yes. Um, Leota says in the commentary that he, he knows cokeheads. Yeah. Who, um, they watch that sequence at the end to remind themselves why they don't want to get back on cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Because that... I think got somehow they got that completely the paranoia and where uh, I mean I wish I could go back to the first time I watched it because like what's going on with these planes and and he's got the his, his brother in the wheelchair stirring the sauce and keeps going back to the babysitter who has the lucky hat like there's so many things that they're balancing there and you know just because you're paranoid just, uh, doesn't mean they're not after you no <laughs> and and they were. But I also love the kicker in that scene is that, like, he knew it was the cops right away because they wouldn't have said anything if, uh, if, it, if it was, uh, if yeah, it was some Yeah, the cops said freeze, motherfucker. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have just heard the gun go off, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe he would have, and it would have been, would have been done. And, you know, that was very possible at, at, at that moment. But I know it's a Ray Liotta podcast. But I feel we should maybe talk about Joe Pesci. He, yes, <laughs> like, this is I, I love, and I, I am a sucker. I love Joe Pesci. I was so happy that he kind of came out of retirement for The Irishman. He's in a, a show with Pete Davidson. I don't like Pete Davidson that much, but I might watch the show because Joe Pesci. Pesci's in, in it. So yeah. um, it's interesting because he's a despicable character. Like very <laughs> few times in the movie do we see him doing anything worthy of liking yeah. him, but. You know, Ray Liotta likes him. De Niro likes him. He's one of the boys. Yes. And when that famous execution yes. scene happens... Which is sh- another shocking moment. Genuinely shocking mm-hmm. and graphically violent. It's weird because it's a gut punch. It's like, oh no, but we don't like him. We don't like him We're not supposed to like this guy. At but, all. But, but we're right he, with De Niro is like smashing up a, 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 like the, the phone I, booth. Because he and and he's, I mean, that's the most emotion that De Niro shows in the film. Like he's, you know, he he sheds tears for. I mean, we we care about it because the other characters care about it. But you know what? I think the real secret is Mm -hmm. we met his mom. 
Yes. Played <laughs> by Scorsese's mo- mother, Catherine They stop Scorsese. by his mom's place yeah. in the middle of the night and yeah. she prepares a banquet for them. Yes. Like, I just a, happen to have this. They have yeah. a dying yeah. man in the trunk of their car out there. Bang, banging away, but they don't know that yet. And yeah. she is like the sweetest oh, old lady. Is. And yes. you're like, she's going to be so devastated oh. when she finds out well, what happens. And they... And they, they Basically, they shoot his face like it's in the narration, so we can't have an open casket, which yeah. is very important to um, Italian. And they set him up going into that room thinking he's going to get made, and yeah, it's supposed to be the best day of his life. All of his problems are about to go away, yeah. and they do, but not in the way. And he's and it expecting. goes back to like you, that first scene. You know, we don't know what's going on, but when we get back to it, and then after you watch this movie several times, what's happening in that first scene? is key to that execution and everything that kind of becomes the downfall of, of Tommy for sure. It's so just an amazing you, you, thing. You, you, you don't kill a made man. No. And you know, and, and especially I, cause it's a petty, like childish argument about you used to shine shoes uh, or yeah, but him picking on, on the bartender shooting that kid, the bar, we yeah. hate him. And yet when he dies, we're like, Oh no! Because that's we, what the movie accomplishes. Because we love he's he's a funny funny guy and like the the the, the what do you mean? You, you mean clown, funny? you know, being funny, you know, <laughs> funny looking. Like tell me a, you're a big boy, you can tell me. A, but a thing I was watching, you know, watch his face in those scenes where he is publicly insulted. So he'll insult anybody in the no room. No problem. But when he loses face, that's when he gets homicidal. Yeah. And that that scene with. Um, uh, Michael Imperioli, young Mir- Michael Imperioli speaking. There's so many Sopranos actors that show up in this thing. You know? Yeah. And spy- a spider, this kid in like, you know. Um, Gets the guts to say, go yeah, fuck he, yourself, dog. To the person you don't say that to. <laughs> and and De Niro, and they're all laughing, and they're like, oh, the ball's in this kid, you know. And and, and he's like, are you going to let him get away with that? Are you going to let him get away with that? And he's thinking it's a joke. And he just, I don't know where to shoot this, this kid. Uh, and... And then De Niro gets so mad at him. He said, well, you told me to. You know, I don't know. You know, And he has this excuse. But watch his face before he... Because now I know what's coming. Yeah. So I'm right after he's been insulted. Anytime he's insulted publicly... I think it's more everyone laughing. Yeah. Like the kid yeah. having the balls to say, go yeah. fuck yourself, And then Tommy. everybody laughs. He might have been able to let that go just by itself. Yeah. But the fact that the entire room erupted with mm-hmm. laughter... Yeah. <laughs> no. No, sorry, no. Spider. And 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 yeah, and the same thing. Well, you get your shine box. You know, I mean, yeah. that's you know, he had no self control, and yeah. it was his undoing. But we understood him. Maybe that's mm-hmm. part of what made yeah. us like him too. Because it's interesting. You and I have this bully thing, and Tommy yes. is a fucking bully, right? Like, yes. Uh, I I've never been in that position where they present me a character that I hate, and yet when they die, I'm feel really, terrible. I'm really feeling badly yeah. about it. Like, but there's something about Pesci. Yeah. Like I think. It's more Pesci than Tommy. Yeah. I mean, just Pesci is a guy that you you want to cheer for. And a couple of years later, it was in My Cousin Vinny, which is one the of movie my, loses I mean, something even when he goes. It's still a it, great. It movie really does, but Pesci. yeah, yeah, you you miss him and you miss those scenes and you hold on to like the screen time that he has, you know, um, and deservedly won an Academy Award. I think Goodfellas should have won Best Picture uh, and Best Director, probably. Yeah. Well, probably now. <laughs> But at the time, like it was a shocking, violent movie, and it was a very old academy that was not willing to go in that direction. But the next year, they pa- swept the field with Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs was unprecedented. In the, yeah, it was unprecedented, and it took a while before they got back to something like that. I mean, Fargo lost Best Picture, Pulp Fiction lost Best Picture. I mean, there was there are there are a lot of examples of a, a darker, more deserving film winning. 
or, or losing out when it should have won. And, uh, and no country for old men. No, upset co- the Ar- yeah, Apple yeah they, they, that was making up for Fargo. <laughs> there and, you go. Know, they still haven't quite made that up to Tarantino. They've given him a couple writing awards, but, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know what more I can say yeah, about Goodfellas. I, I, want, <laughs> I wanted to say, because I knew this was going to be a love festival, yeah. um, and I actually really like this scene, and I like the idea of it. And, like, it's the stuff, again, the stuff that we don't do as citizens, but gangsters could do. After uh, after Lorraine Bracco um, tells Henry that uh, this guy from across the street was, you know, um, hit her and, you know, was, was inappropriate with her, right? And then drives her home. Then she, you know, she starts going inside. He takes out a gun and he starts pistol whipping this kid, guy from across the street. And you're, you're cheering, yeah, go Henry, like, show that jerk exactly. <laughs> He's getting exactly what he deserves. If you watch that one... You can see the air between. You can see how, you know, it was... It's not making contact. Yeah, it was not making contact. Very minor, minor thing. And then my other issue is De Niro was given top billing over over some others. And, you know... He's I, fine And, and De Niro's great. And, like, there's a scene, and it's a really... Like, it's a typical Scorsese, but not as much at that time. Like, there's this moment where, after this big heist has happened, and De Niro has decided to kill everybody in the room, pretty yeah. much. And... It's a slow motion shot, and one of one of the pieces of music that he uses a lot in his film came in, or maybe it was um, in the Garden of Eden. You know, maybe yeah, maybe it was that one. Anyway, it was it was this, this piece that comes on, and the music's fantastic in this film. Goes without saying, but and you're like, why are they concentrating on De Niro's face? And he's kind of smiling, looking like he's having a good time. But that's the moment where we're gonna get this bloodbath massacre because. Just Everybody is screwed, and then that montage uh, to to Layla, yeah. uh, just the instrumental of Layla. Um, it's just like this beautiful music juxtaposed with some of the most horrifying uh, dead bodies and vicious deaths you'd ever you'd ever see. And um, yeah, so th- there are moments where De Niro is, is 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 wonderful, but he is not, you know, the the it's reason to see movie. it. It's not his movie, the, and, and good for him for doing this movie, though. I mean, if anybody was disappointed when they went in and found out it wasn't De Niro's movie, I haven't met that person. No, I haven't yet. No, either. <laughs> so, no. Like, no. maybe it was false advertising, but I think Ray Liotta came came to play. Yeah. So I don't feel yeah. ripped off by it. Anyway, I, I feel like you. We're both going to give this movie a lot of points, and uh, yeah, yeah. If you haven't heard of Goodfellas, maybe check it out sometime. So it's all right. Just another Saturday night. Power is a fragile thing. It's tearing me up how much I love you. Dwight, is that you? And what I gotta do. She owns me. She was an angel. When she wishes it, we die. One of these days she'll pull the trigger. <laughs> it's a good game. That there is a name to kill for. Sin City's where you go in with your eyes open. Where you don't come out at all.
Larry, as you know, or maybe don't know, I'm a big fan of Sin City, uh, Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller, uh, adaption of a uh, graphic novel. And I thought it was, I've gotten to this point where I'm not a huge fan of the digital movie thing as much, but seeing that in theaters, it, it really kind of blew my mind at the time. And I guess probably I still have a little bit of awe. There's something about this uh, sequel that I like more than most anybody else in the world. So I'd say my thumb is up, but anybody that has a problem with Sin City A Dame to Kill For, I would understand it. I, I think the biggest issue I have with it is it was years later and they had to do a lot of recasting. In some cases, they couldn't help it because, you know, uh, Brittany Murphy had died, Michael Clark Duncan had died, uh, and uh, there were some other actors who obviously weren't... Clive Owen was unavailable. Yeah. Um, uh, I think he was doing Children of Men, which was a better use of his time. It was a better use of his time. I would agree with you on yeah. that. Michael Madsen didn't uh, come back for this one. To I think he was replaced by Jeremy Piven. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess they just decided let's do it anyway. Um, and it doesn't matter. I think some of the key pieces in there, even though when, when I realized... I. I don't think I realized that they were hoping to bring nearly everybody back for this one. So I kept wondering why Bruce Willis kept showing up as a ghost um, uh, in the movie and just kind of following Jessica Alba around. I, I got a bit distracted by that and was like, oh yeah, no, they were all supposed to show up again. But Jessica Alba's back for this one. I think one of the big assets to this is Mickey Rourke. Uh, Again, I've been saying this kind of a lot lately. Um, recently reviewed The Expendables, and I feel like, you know, he adds some energy to that movie. Uh, I think he adds energy to any movie he's in, no matter what state of being he's in, um, for sure. And I like him. I mean, he's kind of, in some ways, taking on the lead here. There's a few story pieces that don't completely add up. There's this kind of this idea at the beginning that he's kind of has an amnesia or he's lost, you know, that's not really followed up at the end. But I, I think, you know, this is a movie where you could just enjoy the visuals, uh, enjoy uh, the violence, the neo-noir style, and, and still get something out of it. And what it kind of became with a lot of ensemble movies, this is what I end up doing, is the performances or the actors I like, I'm putting in the, the strengths column. The ones I'm not enjoying as much, I go into the weaknesses column here. But uh, Mickey Rourke, to me, is kind of the... Uh, MVP, but I, I wanted to do shout-outs. Julia Garner, this is before Ozark. She's a very good actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we, we talked about her with that uh, Marcy, Mary... Uh, Mary Marlene. Marlene, yeah. yeah. I can never get the title of that one right. Um, she had a very small role in that one. Some, small role in this. Yes, that's right. She's, I think she's a force to be reckoned with. I mean, her most of her attention has been TV, but yeah. I think if some... Smart director out there gives her the chance in a, a feature film. She's she's going to she's going to bring it. Uh, Juno Temple yeah. uh, was very key to the scene. We're going to focus a little bit of time on is Ray Liotta's only scene there. Um, ugliest scene in the movie. It's, in a, it, a, a it, lot of ugly it movies. is in a very ugly movie, but it is one of the ugliest ones. And you know the, how he turns, and it's something about that effect that they use. You know where where they focus in on the eyes and then the eyes, you know, 
kind of change and you're like, oh, okay, we were kind of liking this guy, but no, we shouldn't be be trusting him. Uh, they do a lot of that with Powers Booth, who is, you know, the big bad in the film too. And I think he's he's quite good in it as well. And I love seeing Christopher Lloyd. I mean, what a, it's like Christopher Lloyd's in this. Uh, and I don't know why I'd forgotten that from the first time I saw it. So He showed up recently in that Nobody movie with uh, Bob Odenkirk. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, it was just like, it's always good. To see you, dude. It's just yeah. always good to see Christopher Lloyd. It's good to see him in Piranha. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know, I know, I know. He's so. I, I guess where I am with it is, if you are a fan of the first movie and you you like this this style, uh, there have been some movies in this style that I haven't liked. I'm, I'm controversially not a fan of Three Hundred. Um, and what was the other one that Frank Miller did on his own? Oh, The Spirit. That was a terrible movie. The Spirit. I'm not even sure if I saw that or not. No, or if I did, I completely forgot it. It's, so. Yeah. Well, it's it's a less good Sin City. My no. relationship with Sin City is a little bit different than yours. Yes. I, uh, I, I knew the comic book. Yes. And I appreciated in the movie version. And the first time I saw it, I was very impressed by it. It seems like every time I've seen it since, which is maybe two or three times, it, the bar drops a little bit. I think the, 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 the problem, if there is one, is not Rodriguez, it's not the cast, it's not the presentation at all. In a weird way, it's the source material. Like, this is super noir, uber noir, yeah, it is, yeah. and they lean really hard <laughs> on the sex and violence. And yeah. the still frames and the stylistic, you know, mainly black and white, but with splashes of red here and there, uh, stylistically on the page, it's quite striking. When you fill in the gaps in between each of those frames with actual film celluloid, it becomes this kind of uncomfortable exploitation picture, right? <laughs> it, is. it is way over the top, and it is only about stylistic sex and violence, mm-hmm. and that is all, right? Like, so which is not bad not sometimes. Necess- that's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound like, I, I, but like uh, the first time you watch it, the style just. For me, it just knocked me over. I just yeah. loved how they... That is the comic book on the screen. Bravo. And Mickey Rourke, you can't really argue with that. No. But, like I say, every time I've watched the original one, it's gone down a bit. And the fact that they waited something like 10 years between these two movies... Yes. Yeah. Um, that hurt it. I think it really hurt it. If it had been two years or three years later, it would have been better. Fresh off of the sort of... Fresh in our memories, and we're still sort of riding that wave. Because I think, I don't know how well the Sin City vibe ages in a weird way. It's kind of like the American Pie franchise. Yeah. It was fun while it happened, but looking <laughs> back, yeah. uh, nobody's really proud of this, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, also, in the second movie, I don't, like, the recasting, a lot of it was out of their hands. But yeah. I controversially will say Josh Brolin does a better job of that character than Clive Owen did. And I like Clive Owen, but I, I just prefer Josh <laughs> He gets a lot of screen time, and he has a real arc. Like, initially, I was I was kind of saying, well, th- this section is really kind of interesting and well-written. I forgot how much screen time he has. It's the biggest story in the movie. You know, I mean, we, we're spending this time uh, with um, the kid uh, gambling there and his, um, what's his name, jo- jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Here's a problem. I, I just, I cannot get behind that guy. I just, I wish I could. I, I like the odd performance here and there, but... I, I, just I will say I liked his story probably out of the group that, that they've done here. The other thing that's different about the sequel than from the original is that they're not all taken from the comic book. Yeah. They invented a couple of these, I think three of these stories are just complete inventions. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and because it's a prequel sequel, we don't have to worry about Marv. And we don't have to worry... Well, I guess Bruce Willis is ghostly. But, like, yeah. uh, we know the fates of a lot of these characters. But Powers Booth is not going to die. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it just... It takes a bunch of things away, and it doesn't give you much more. Yeah. So as a result, it feels like a pretty flat sequel. Now, did it deserve to be completely ignored the way it was? I would say no. I mean, it's fine, but it's only fine. Like, (laughs) uh, and Rodriguez, he's a stylist. I I will check out what he makes. Like, I, I, I dig him, but... He doesn't knock it out of the park every time. And no. This no. felt like, I promised the people another Sin City, here it is. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to get excited about. And when we frame it within Ray Liotta, yes, he's really strong for the one scene that he is in the movie. But It's a memorable scene, though. I mean, well, yeah, he's sleeping. Him and Josh Brolin. You know, you, you go ahead. He's sleeping with a prostitute. And I guess he's being friendly enough for the exchange yeah. that's happening. And as soon as it's over and he's getting ready to leave, that change that you talk about happens. Mm-hmm. And she senses it right away and gets on the defensive and, you know, right away is trying to talk him out of it. And you know, and so does she, that you're not going to talk this guy out of fucking anything. And a lot of that is just Ray Liotta's face. But, yeah, then then Josh Brolin kicks the shit out of in, him and he's out yeah. of the movie. Like, he's really barely in the movie. Yeah, he's good he, in he, it. He's very good, but it's it's like, oh, we could get him for this. Yeah. And, know, if you and we can get can. Ray Liotta for your scene, fucking get Ray yeah, Liotta I know. for your scene. Yeah. I, I might have given him more to do, mm-hmm. too. I, I kept expecting him to show up again later on. But, um, yeah, and I, I got the sense it was like a mistress more than a hooker. But, right. With yeah. uh, Juno Temple. But there. she was from she Old was, Town. But she was trying to, yeah, she was from the, yeah, the Old They're Town. They're not all prostitutes. I didn't mean yeah. that. But you know what but, I mean? They, they have this sort of female gang that uh, have the portion of the city that they run. And yeah. uh, she's in that circle. And uh, yeah, they all dress. And that's dress where Rosario, like, Rosario Dawson, who's wonderful. Uh, they all dress like dominatrixes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, and I, yeah, and I just kind of felt like he, she's starting to pressure, oh, like, leave your wife type of thing. And he's he's not going to do that and yeah and he gets very violent and so it's not a nice Ray Liotta performance we're going to be talking about another not very nice Ray Liotta performance here and I just I also wanted to like put it in there to show like I get excited every time he shows up if he's going to show up for five minutes or if he's going to show up for two hours and five minutes of screen time I'm excited to see him in it and the fact that we like him so much and we, you mentioned several very likable characters he's played yeah. throughout his career in the introduction. But then we can also be scared and horrified by him at the same time. And almost in that scene, it had that charm of Leota, and then that turned to somebody who's, you know, sociopathic. And the fact that this actor can do that, I mean, we were talking about Pesci, you know, likable Pesci is, but he could also play just uh, like the most horrible person that you could ever imagine. Leota had that in him for sure. So. Yeah, I like the, I like seeing the conflict a little bit more. In this one, he goes from being a nice guy to a not nice guy yeah. to a guy beaten to a bloody pulp, right? Yeah, I I more appreciate like the like the Copland type of performance where he yes. was a bad guy, but he he got to the line where he could go this far. No, and then further. he wasn't get cross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, <clears throat> you see the struggle. He's not exactly a good guy, but he's nowhere near as bad as all these people around him. And I. 
I miss the nuance of that. Yeah. But I know we're not talking yeah. about that. And, all, and also, if I hadn't reviewed Copland already on the show, it could have been part of this, too. So. He's so good in that movie. Yeah, 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 he's very good. There's lots of people in good, good in Copland. I think that's an underrated movie, so... Yeah, so I don't know much more of what you want to talk about with Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. I don't think it's as bad as its reputation. It, it was in and out of theaters. Like, I would have loved, because I saw Sin City in theaters, I would have loved to have seen this in theaters, but it... You have to be quick. Yeah, it, yeah it I, wasn't, I wasn't fast enough. It, it really bombed, and I, I guess also... the culture had moved on, I, but it seems strange to me, because I think it's, it, it's worth people checking out. I would also say it shares this in common with the first movie and that most of the stories don't necessarily end in super happy ways. No. But I didn't feel like it was a bummer movie no. in the first movie, whereas this one kind of did. I, I liked the way the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character's story resolved itself in that his enemy was defeated but not killed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It cost Jordan Le- Joseph Gordon-Levitt his life and everything. But he wanted to go out shaming this guy. Yeah. If, like, this guy was going to fuck with him for the rest of his life, he was going to take from him for the rest of his life, there was nothing he could do about it yeah. except for shame this guy. And that shame still holds over him. People yes. won't play cards with him in Sin City yes. because of this yes. thing that happened. So uh, he, he won. He won. He lost. But he, but he, lost. he won the <laughs> yeah. greater battle there. That's and cool. I like the idea of that. Yeah. And I don't think any of the other stories had that going on. Mm-hmm. But... There's nothing you're going to get out of this movie that you didn't get better in the original mm-hmm. Sin City. And I'm starting to think that the original Sin City is starting to show its age. So Probably a bit. We'll see. But I, I love seeing Mickey Rourke come in and just smash people's heads. I yeah. mean, you know, I don't know what that is about me. I'm, I'm, I'm not want, that type of person in life, but I am... If you want more Sin City, this is more Sin City. Yeah. But I do think the first one is better. And like I say, I feel like the older they get, the more they're going to be a little bit in the guilty pleasure. I, I think so, and the technology won't have aged as well. Yeah. Um, and we, we, I think there's a real desire to get back to practical effects. I don't know if that's going to be happening. With there's so much happening in the movie industry right now that's. Um, I appreciate negative, them but, respecting the visual art of the yeah. page, though, because they took that comic book and they put it on screen. Yeah. Like, and there's not really a lot of better examples emulating the style of a comic book mm-hmm. that I can think of off the top of my head. So that's an accomplishment. It was the the best use of digital filmmaking uh, I can think of, and it was it came out of an experimental time for Rodriguez, and in most of his experiments, I you know I thumbs up and, and go along with, and I'd give thumbs up to this one. You maybe only needed one Sin City movie. You maybe only needed one Machete movie, but Rodriguez, I'm here for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll see Machete. <laughs> yeah. When's the next one? He's not supposed to be on the moon. But machete in space. Yeah, I don't know if that will ever happen, but I I I pay money to see that. But, yeah, I don't think I have much more to say about A Dame to Kill. No, no. Uh, I'd still say check it out. And, you know, this might be a movie that I'm putting out there that nobody talks about anymore and nobody thinks about anymore. And I I don't like movies to be lost. I mean, that's one of the big things. And it's a big thing on your show, too. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's your it's fine. It's fine. Mine is, I wish I liked this more than I do. Yeah. (laughs) There was a storm. It was an accident. We had an accident. And we got stuck and we couldn't get out. We couldn't get out because of the storm. It's flooded. It's dead end. You're the manager? Officer Rose. 
transporting a prisoner here. But the roads are all flooded and I could use a room. I don't think we can get out tonight. I'm not staying here. Are you out of your mind? There is no place else to go. Nobody in there. That's not possible. I saw what happened. We all saw what happened. This doesn't make any sense. Maybe there's some connection between all of us. Like what? It's my birthday next week. Me too. Me too. You said moments before me pressing record. Yes, uh, this this movie, James Mangold's um, identity, is probably one that we're not going to be on the same page. <laughs> I I believe I put this in my top thirty. I forget what position I put I it was in. An honorable mention, maybe or something. But yeah, I didn't. I have it. Maybe it was just an honorable mention. I thought I had put it in the list there for. Anyway, uh, you you mentioned it and I made a noise. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yes. And it's not the first time I've noticed that. So, and then we often get to review them later on when I get to get the, the full story on uh, on that. I love ensemble movies. I love movies with actors like John Cusack and Ray Liotta and uh, Amanda Peet and uh, Alfred Molina. And there's so Clean many so many great people involved with this movie. John C. McGill- McGinley is in here. Bruce He's always Taylor a welcome presence. Yeah, Bruce Taylor Vince is. Like, really good. I mean, I, I was watching some stuff that I didn't notice the previous two times that I had watched Identity. Uh, I also like the idea of a slasher, which is set in, like, a hotel or kind of a remote location. But this movie does, and it'll probably be spoilers, and if you haven't seen Identity, I know a lot of people Watch haven't it seen first. it. Please it first. see yeah. it first, judge for yourself. But we probably will, in having to review it and having to talk about it, we'll probably have to... To, it's uh, 90 minutes it. and it's not boring. No. Even if it doesn't work for you, it's 90 minutes and it's not boring. Yeah, it's it's quick. But um, seemingly it's, you know, we, we have this idea that there's uh, uh, somebody who is supposed to be executed, but at the last minute uh, they're having to uh, retry the case because there's evidence that uh, this criminal um, has uh, mental health problems, perhaps maybe schizophrenic. So and A final hurrah. Final hurrah. But then we go to this hotel uh, um, in the middle of nowhere. It's a Bates Motel type of idea there. Dark and stormy night. Yeah, dark and stormy night there. And basically both ends of the road here, there's problems that a whole series of people cannot uh, get away from. So they all converge in the hotel. John Cusack is um, basically a limo driver security 
for Rebecca De Mornay. When was the last time we saw Rebecca De Mornay? Like it was Mother's Day. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Mother's Day. Um, I was a fan of hers in the '90s, I guess. Um, so I was happy to see her for a little bit in this 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 movie. Amanda Peet is essentially a hooker, uh, but a high end and hooker. underused actress. And she, she, I've I've loved her the whole nine yards way back then. Now I'm, I mean, she's married to one of the creators of Game of Thrones, and I. I'd love to see her get more work now, and she's very good in this movie. Um, and then we have uh, this horrible car accident that happens um, where uh, this uh, husband and wife and then this little kid, they end up there, and, um, and then John Hawks is the guy working at the hotel, at the hotel as well. Great actor. Uh, yeah, another kind of underrated actor. Uh, I think he was... Great in a movie called Winter's Bone. And, you know, he's, he's been great in a lot of different things. And these characters start to be offed one after another, you know. And each time that their bodies uh, are, you know, are, are discovered, there's a hotel key basically going 1 to 10 because there's, there's 10 characters there. Um, and then there's some, you know, as they continue to figure out what's going on, there's some uh, commonalities between these characters. And we keep going back to uh, waiting for this prisoner to arrive, who we believe is uh, being accompanied by a police officer played by Ray Liotta. Uh, and he's fantastic in this movie. Uh, <clears throat> I loved him and him and Cusack together was a dream team. Um, but he's transporting Jake Busey, who looks like, as he often is, like the, the creepiest, scariest, psychopath you could possibly imagine. He inherited his old man's crazy face. Yes, <laughs> but not his old man's talent, I, I don't think as much. I'm not a big Jake Busey guy, nor am I here. I don't think, you know, I think he's well within his range with what he's doing. He's he's probably on the weaker end of the, the scale for me. But we're led very much to believe that this is the guy who's being transported for this, this hearing, uh, where Alfred Molina is... Uh, is waiting. He's the psychiatrist who is going to examine this guy. But um, we soon discover that that's not actually what's happening. There are hints throughout. Uh, I probably should have seen it coming the first time I saw it in, in theaters, but I didn't. And uh, I was thrilled to, you know, when it gets revealed, what's happening. And so this is the point where maybe you're paused and watch the movie. When all of a sudden, you know, um, John Cusack is suddenly sitting there talking to Alfred Molina and you're like, what's going on? And then we start to get it that what we're seeing is uh, a person with likely with uh, multiple personality disorder. And these, we are watching in his mind, the battle between all these personalities to kind of take over. And I think the, the hope is that through John Cusack's character, that, they will kill off the evil influences and the pure, um, the purest character who in many ways they, they kind of hint is the Amanda Peet character is the one who's going to survive. And then we get that plot twist and towards the end we get another plot twist. Yeah. I'm in for all of it. I watched it again. I was like, this is my third time. I have to be super critical. I'm like, okay, maybe nostalgia from the first time I saw it but then second time I saw it it held up for me and I, I was talking about it on that on your show and then here I am again doing a more detailed review I am firmly a fan of identity 
I I love this movie. I I do have lots of negatives in here that I I can bring up about it, but I I I can't. I'm totally on board, and I'm just. I know that you have problems with this, and so I'm I'm excited, I guess, to hear <laughs> what those problems are. It's one of those things where I like James Mangold, and mm-hmm. there is not a weak person in the cast. No. And, like, even the smaller roles. I love Clea Duvall. I, she's another one of yes. these actresses that yes. I feel like do more with her. John C. McGinley. I love John <laughs> yes. C. McGinley. He usually does supporting roles in, like, Oliver Stone's movies. Yeah. I know a lot of people know him from Scrubs, but he is a game B player. If you have him as a supporting role in your yeah, movie, you're fortunate. he is there 1000%. So much to the point, the first time I went to the theater to see Seven, when I saw John C. Yes. McGinley's name on there, I thought, oh, I bet you he's the killer, right? Because like, yes, yeah, <laughs> that's they, right. They, they were pocketing Spacey. <laughs> um, also, and I will get around to identity, to talk about another movie peripheral to this. You're familiar with the movie Adaptation? Yes. Nicolas Cage plays twin brothers who Mm -hmm. are writing screenplays. And the weirder, fatter, stranger brother is writing a screenplay that fucking is identity. He's writing a movie about a serial killer. And all of his victims and the cop that is chasing him all exist only in his head. And his brother admonishes him throughout the movie like, what, what, how does that even, what are we even watching then? Like, what... (laughs) How do you... Never mind. It's a great idea. Well done. (laughs) Identity is, whether it knew it or not, that movie being brought to the fold. Yeah. I love James Mangold as a director, by the way. Even like uh, that Cameron Diaz, Tom Cruise... Night and Day. Night and Day. Like, for what it is, it's a completely decent, watchable movie. Like, and I like everybody in the cast. And I think the problem was I came here excited. Mm-hmm. And when I saw what was happening, all these people coming together on this dark and stormy night, sort of a ten little Indians kind of set up, right? Yeah. They're going to be killed off one at a time. Who's doing it? Okay. Well, let's do that. But nothing made sense. The way people showed up didn't make sense. The yeah. way the bodies, like, the way... And then, like, this isn't making sense, but there's got to be something to be revealed because it's James Mangold and he's assembled this cast. Yes. And there's no way it's going to be, you know so bizarre that like I can't make sense of it and it's exactly that it's exactly that once I realized okay these are all characters in this guy's head then nothing can make sense it's an interesting acting exercise I guess yeah if you're like playing the affect of this tangent personality or like this multiple personality disorder but it takes away any reality once you know that's what it's going for, then the, all the movie has after that is which personality is going to win and who do we want to win and who's going to be the twist. Yeah, actual, yeah. And but that's late in the film I, it's revealed, right? I it's, felt, But I felt like that's the only card to play. Like, other than the big reveal that it's all in the head and when we get that scene where he looks in the mirror, John, or John Cusack looks in the mirror, yeah. mirror and he sees Pruitt's Taylor Vince's face. Yeah. Or is it the other way? Anyway, uh then it's like, oh shit, this is all happening in the guy's head. The only note that the movie has to play is the big sort of Twilight Zone twist that the evil personality is going to win. And Which is probably somewhat predictable. I, I would, I would, so. I, I would say like, yeah, if you're watching it and there's a character that, I mean, they, they try to cover it up. We think, you know, if you're keeping track of the keys thing and you've, 
you know, there's there's a character who we think has died, but we haven't seen for a while. That character might still be in the picture, and it makes sense from a psychological point of view. And everything about it is kind of revealed in that title sequence, but you're just getting kind of adjusted to the film, yeah. Because we're getting the backstory on this on this criminal, and all of the characters that we are introduced to are mentioned in there, you know, in his, in his backstory. So it, when when we get to the last scene there with Amanda Pete, that's um, you know, it's supposed to be kind of a gotcha moment, but I think there are some people who've watched, like you and I have watched enough movies that we could see that coming. But I, I don't know why it kind of reminded me of, I'm a big fan of the frailty movie, the Bill Paxton yeah. film. This, this reminded me of that in some ways too. I mean, I, it's not as good a movie as frailty is, but I, I guess I'm a sucker for this type of a film. Uh, and even if I know what's going to happen, it's the execution of it. I the execution is crucial. Yeah. And, and I think if you're going to have a movie this high concept, and there's another movie we're going to talk about later that has the same problem, almost mm -hmm. exactly. If you're going to have something this high concept, you're going to have to move at such a furious pace, and it's going to have to be so stolidly entertaining, scene for scene, that we're not thinking to the peripheral. I felt like I was, and maybe this is my problem, because I came in at the, like, I was looking for, there's something weird going on. What is it? Yeah. And once I figured out what it is, I feel like I figured out the rest of the movie. And there was still an hour to go with the movie, right? Yeah. And that hurts the movie. <clears throat> and I had more of a half an hour when I first yeah. saw it to, if to you need, figure that out. Yeah. If, you need, if your premise is that ridiculous, you got to move and you got to keep us intrigued. I think of a movie like Dead Again. Yes. The premise of Dead Again is completely fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like, if you try to explain to somebody the premise <laughs> yes. of Dead Again, you're going to get a headache, mm -hmm. and they're going to like, I don't want to watch this movie. This movie sounds stupid. And objectively, it is. But while you're in it, you're so in it that you roll with all the punches. And in identity, I don't know what to tell you, Jason, I just wasn't rolling with all the punches. Mm -hmm. When they showed us Pruitt doing his twitchy eye thing, which yeah. he always does. Yeah. And I was like, okay, here we are. I know where we are. But I like the twitchy eye thing that he does. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can do that. It's 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 one of the, the things that he brings as an actor. Yes, I get yes, why yes. it's there. But I don't know. There was something inevitable about it. The movie, it's one of those times where the movie thought it was smarter than its audience. And I kind of came to resent that. Yeah, and I, I can I can see that. I can get behind that. I, and I agree it's, I would agree with that statement. Yeah, I think it that, is smarter than us, but... And then on top of that, you got all these great actors whom I love. And to yeah. talk about Ray Liotta, you know, again, uh, very solid. Solid as a fucking rock. But the character's a little bit at sea because we got to wonder about him. Is he a straightforward good cop or does he got... And he can play whatever he wants. There's no wrong take, right? Yeah. He can play it super evil. He can play it super chill. Doesn't matter because all of it will make sense. Yeah. There's no rules to this. No. But he's good. He's good. And, and Cusack, good. I mean, Cusack is, he anchors a film like like nothing else. Like, I mean, I, I know all the, the criticisms about him as a human being, apparently, but I love watching him do his thing. And him against Leota. His I, realization. Towards the end, I mean, is When is, he is has great. this moment where he realizes that, like, Nothing that he's seeing or doing is real. Yeah. I don't know how you would express it, but he does. The, the, the oh shit moment yeah, happens. Yeah, he is great. And, yeah. <laughs> and he's almost, yeah, he, he's kind of like our, he's the, the everyman. He's not really an everyman because of the skill set he brings, but in many ways, we're watching the film through his eyes. Yeah. In many ways, he's quite clearly the protagonist. And for a long time, we think that Ray Liotta is also one of our protagonists and 
and that that turnaround was good. And I love when they would go back to what's led to this. Uh, I like the the montages of how everybody ends up at the hotel. And that's how how it's all kind of overlapping connections. Um, I, I guess I drank the Kool Aid with this movie, yeah. and I'm I'm not apologizing for it because I it's if my it thing. Works for it you, didn't it works work for you, and I think you were maybe a little bit more frustrated or angry at it because you the could see is, the potential. When you come into a movie, and again, I will totally cop to this. When you come into a movie like jazzed for it, I like James Mangold. I mm -hmm. love this yes. cast. And it's set up as this like bloody murder mystery or slasher movie. Like, I, I guess the movie that I got was so far away from what I wanted. But I usually, when that happens, like when I revisit it, I can, I can be prepared for what I am here and accept the movie for what it actually is instead of what I wanted it to be. And upon revisiting it, I still found the same basic... I, I just started thinking about adaptation and laughing to myself. Like, mm. on, uh, again, describing this screenplay, it sounds terrible. The cast and the director raises it above terrible, but I think, fundamentally, it's not a very sound script. Mm. <laughs> and I think that they... Mangle directed the hell out of it, and the cast acted mm -hmm. the hell out of it, yeah. and they kind of made something watchable out of it. Like, even I said at the beginning of this, not as a fan of the movie, but you should make your own mind up about it. Yeah. It's 90 minutes, it's fast, yeah. and it is not boring. No, like, not for I've a moment. Watched, like, it, to, it's hard to say it's a bad movie, because it's executed so well. It's a very disappointing movie to me. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm if I was going to go home and put it on again, I'd have a great time with it. So I don't think yeah. it's... You know, I think I would have had seen the diminishing returns by now, right. and I, I, I've still enjoyed it, even knowing what the the payoff is. So, I yeah, just different. It's a subjective thing, I guess. Um, controversially, mm -hmm. you keep mentioning adaptation. I'm not a huge fan not of adaptation. adaptation. I, I I've wrestled with that one for years. Well, so it's 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 interesting I'm just talking about that. That, but but that, the fact that that premise. Is this here? Movie. Is this movie? <laughs> I just think it's you funny. Know? Yeah, it, it, it is funny, and and not in this is not an original idea. We've seen versions of this before. You but can hear someone pitching this. Like, yeah, just well, it sounds like a cheesy Hollywood pitch. Yeah, yeah, and and again, this was another. We're talking about a lot of movies that were released in the spring yeah. and had a little bit of a run, but I don't think a lot of people think of Identity much in the same way they don't think of. And Sin if you City measure or... it against the rest of Mangold's career, yeah. to be fair, I, I'm not a big biopic man, but like I, yeah. I prefer Walk the Line to yeah. this. I prefer well, Logan. it's a better movie. Yes, I, I prefer agree. Logan to this. I might prefer this to Wolverine, but uh, mm -hmm. it's both. I, I, I wouldn't throw away Mangold, and again, like because it didn't work for me doesn't mean it won't yeah. work for you. But it's one of those things that it just, it really, it really is. Yeah. It's, it's interesting enough, and I, you know, I stand by it like a very enthusiastic thumbs up. Whereas, I don't know, you're kind of wavering thumbs down. It's, in your, it's interesting, but you're disappointed. You're kind of in between, I guess. It would have been thumbs down if I was bored. And yeah. I was not bored. No. So I guess I'm giving it a conditional A conditional pass. thumb, yeah, yeah. And that's fair, that's fair, yeah. I thought you hated this movie. Hated and and it. you know you don't often hate a movie, so I should should have known that. All right, I, that's identity. Check it out. Sure. You know how I feel. Watch a man come into my own home, attack my own wife, and I can't do anything about it. 
never gonna be in that position again. Oh, Michael. Hey. You remember Officer Davis? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How you doing? I didn't recognize you. You had a uniform. Hey, I'm gonna make sure that your block's patrolled all night long. Would you like to go get a cup of coffee? You're safe with me. I'm a cop, remember? What's going on? What the hell are you talking about? You and Pete. He wants you. He thinks you want him? We're staying away from this guy. You got it? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. How do I get a cop off my back? Here it is, 5,000. You walk away and don't mess with my wife. Bribe Mikey. Call whatever you want, Pete. I don't know what's going on with Michael. He's losing it. This guy's a decorated officer you're accusing. I don't care how many medals he has. I want this taken care of. He's making up these stories. So maybe you're overreacting a little bit? He threatened to kill me last night. <laughs> How do you suggest I react to that? These wild accusations about me? Mr. Carr, is there something personal in this? I told you he was dangerous. What's it gonna take? Me in a body bag? Anything I seem to do makes it worse. I got a cop who wants my wife. They hear him lock the door. Do it! She's all alone, Mikey. Okay, the last time I recorded for um, Rank and Review, we talked about a movie called Communion, yes. which I wasn't very nice to, okay. but you talked about how in the single-digit age category, you saw this movie, and it scared you, and you still have this nostalgia for it. I'm affectionate to it. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I know the problems with unlawful entry, <laughs> but this was the first legitimate R-rated movie I ever saw. In fact, it, I saw it in the United States, or as you call it, the excited states of America, <laughs> yes. on a trip to Minot, North Dakota. I think that might have been the first time that I saw a multiplex in the summer of 1992. And I was just like, I had, I've gone to heaven now. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all of the movies that I can see, movies I can see again that I like. I could, you know, and um, the strange thing about it is uh, my kindergarten teacher and grade two teacher was a neighbor and a family friend who we would do these trips with. She loves thrillers. She doesn't like horror movies, but she loves thrillers. So she took me and we were the two that went to see Unlawful Entry. <laughs> um, other than a babysitter when I was young accidentally taking me to Coming to America, uh, which, yeah, that's definitely an R-rated movie as well. But I laughed and I didn't get the... Uh, the the gross out humor in that. You weren't um, traumatized by coming no, to America. No, no. And this was, uh, I guess I was a recent teenager um, when this movie came out and when I saw it. And it combined with some movies I'd rented and seen Silence of the Lambs and some different things got me into the thriller and that and reading Stephen King books led me into becoming a, a fan of horror. That was kind of my pathway there. So I have a great deal of nostalgia and affection for Unlawful Entry. Um, it's essentially about a, a couple living beyond their means, but in a pretty nice area of Los Angeles. And one night uh, there's an intruder who comes in and threatens the life of Madeline Stowe, very underrated actor, um, who we were just talking about a moment ago that I, I, I really, I talked about her with shortcuts and uh, just, just a wonderful actor. Uh, and Kurt Russell's her husband, and there's this this moment where he feels helpless. He to defend her, and he's afraid that she's going to die. 
they call the police and the police come in and reassure, uh, reassure them. And, um, seems like, like some of the best LA cops ever. And one of them is Ray Liotta. But at the tail end of this interaction, um, we see Le Ray Liotta's partner, uh, turn to him and say, don't do what you're thinking of doing. Cause he fact. has this comment like nice people. Yeah. You know, and then we're kind of like, okay, so what's what's going on here? And um, understandably, Madeline Stowe's character is very nervous the next day and calls Kurt Russell, he's in the middle of an important deal to get this nightclub uh, together and says, well, why don't you call that nice police officer um, and maybe he can help with this because the police hadn't shown up to fingerprint or anything. Russell comes home and everything is being done. The top security system is being put in. This is like fast work by the LAPD. And it's all because of this great cop played by Ray Liotta. But super friendly. Super friendly. <laughs> and as is the case with a lot of these going back to Fatal Attraction and onward. And this was, and I'm a sucker for almost all of these movies. And that year and beyond in the 90s, we got so many of these where we have a, a, a character who becomes obsessed Stalker with. movies. You know. Uh, and Ray Liotta, understandably, because Madeline Stowe is a very beautiful woman, yep. becomes obsessed with her. And uh, the relationship after um, Ray Liotta takes Kurt Russell on a, uh, a ride along and then has found the guy who broke into their house. And uh, not, not unintentionally at this time in Los Angeles in the early 90s, we see Ray Liotta, a white man, beating the crap out of a black man. Um, very much alluding to the Rodney, pretty edgy King. stuff for the time. Yeah, for the time. Well, so even it, today, it was topical. It was, it's it's a a hard scene to watch, and like he ideas, he wants Kurt Russell to beat the hell out of this guy, and he doesn't. After that, Kurt Russell like this guy is a psycho. We need to stay away from him, and then he does absolutely everything wrong and gets on the bad side of Ray Liotta, and we start to see the really nasty side of this guy. Well, and it's interesting because, yes, he's obsessed with Madeline Stowe, and so am I. But, uh, yeah, he was obsessed with Madeline Stowe. But I think part of it was not only is she unworthy, but Kurt Russell is unworthy of her. Yes. He's not willing to beat the shit out yeah. of a guy and who that's assaulted what a, her. And that's what a man would do. And There's a big comment on masculinity that's right. in this film. And, yeah, that he's a real man. So, and he's also, you know, like, it's, it's, it's funny watching it this time. Um, and it's been some years since I, I saw it, and I watched it a lot when I was younger, when I got my VHS copy of it. Um, and when I got my, my uh, DVD, I don't have a Blu-ray of it, but uh, DVD of it, I had watched it again, but it's been years since then. There's scenes early on where I kind of felt sorry for Ray Liotta. Like, he's kind of sitting alone at the laundromat, you know, and he's socially awkward. And we see different times where he's socially awkward. You know, um, and then like when he turns, nobody is going to be sympathizing with him after that. But the fact is like he, he doesn't like his his comfort level is basically to pick a woman up who is obsessed with police officers, have sex with her and discard her. Yeah. But this is this is like a real genuine like this could be my wife type of a person. And he wants Kurt Russell's life. And he is going to when Russell fights back and does a report and, and makes life difficult for Ray Liotta, he is, he's taking steps to ensure that he will now be the man in her life. 
and uh, using all of the power of the police to fuck with yes. Russell. As yes, well. you know, get all of his credit cards. You know, so he can't pay anything. He looks embarrassed in front of clients yeah. and his partner, who is um, really like his best. Like that lawyer is amazing. He he does everything. He pretty much mortgages his house to get him spoilers for later on in the film. Kurt Russell actually ends up in prison. Yeah. Because <laughs> some drugs get planted on him. I wonder how that happened. Um, and this guy, you know, mortgages his house to get the bail bond so that they could release Kurt Russell so he can go, like, save charge him to save his wife, you know. Well, um, so I, I, I know there are problems with this. I know it's kind of formulaic. But I love this movie. I love Unlawful Entry. I always will. So... Look, I'm not going to say a lot of bad things about it, yeah. other than, like, it is derivative. Yes. I mean, we can agree. Uh, around this time, we were seeing so many movies. Mm-hmm. The Psycho Secretary, The Psycho Nanny. This was The Psycho Cop. You're right to call out Fatal Attraction, which I believe started the ball. Yes. This is just it rolling further down. But I think that the edge this movie has is the fact that The Psycho Cop, like, uh, it's even more timely watching it today with the lack of trust we have with the authorities. Yes, it was very... It feels like it's almost... Of our times. It almost feels right for a remake. Yes. What I appreciated, as much as I do, you know, enjoy superficially things like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, when they cut to, you know, Rebecca De Mornay and Hands Rock the Cradle, first scene, Mm -hmm. she's crazy. Yeah. What I like about Ray Liotta (laughs) is that, like, he's able to mask his crazy. He is unwell. And his partner, which I think that relationship between he and his partner is one of the most interesting things in the movie. His partner genuinely likes him. Oh, he does. And he's worried about him because he knows he's got these issues. And he keeps on trying to gently steer him in the right direction. And that play of how it plays out between him and his partner. Like, he murders his partner. And, and it's so calculated. Like, it's, it's awful. I mean, it, as a kid watching that, 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 whole, that shocked me. Yeah. And, like, yeah. not only did he do that, but when he testified to what happened, his performance... Of like the lie of what went down and why you know how like he is completely credible. Yeah, he doesn't look and sound crazy. And a lot of times with these movies, especially in this time frame, mm-hmm. the crazy person is so fucking like foaming at the mouth, crazy. <laughs> that, like, Nobody would believe this is a normal. It, it loses no. credibility. Yeah. And yeah. what this movie manages, as ridiculous as it does sometimes get, is it never completely like ab- abandons credibility yeah. to me. I believe it. And if some police officer decided that they wanted to fuck with a random member of the citizenry, absolutely. I think it could happen. <laughs> it could it, absolutely. And it has, and probably has happened. I mean, Just take your life we, apart. I remember at the time as a gentleman who's passed since, but he was a family friend who was a police officer. And I was like probably some teenage kid. I was telling him the whole plot of this movie. <laughs> da, 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 da. And he was kind of like, yeah, no, that wouldn't happen. We'd, you know, we'd stop that. But. I, I don't know anymore. It's unlikely, but I would never say that it wouldn't happen. Yeah. I wanted to shout out Roger E. Mosley, who plays that partner. Like, so I didn't know the actor's name. Yeah, he, he like he. I haven't seen him in a while. He's lot. very good. And Ken Lerner is the one who plays the lawyer friend, right. who's you know kind of the business partner. You know, he ends up covering the tab when you know uh, things are going. Yeah, he's messing with and he, and and he believes his friend yeah. too. I mean, there's points where he could be like. Like, there this is other, bad. You're up for drug charges here. He believes him more than his wife believes him, which is yes. what really hurts. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that this movie has. And, and I, we're here to talk about Ray Liotta, but Kurt Russell at this time yeah. was having inexplicable hit after inexplicable yeah. hit. Like, the, not that 
they were bad movies, but no one was expecting Stargate to blow up. Yeah. No one was expecting Breakdown. I love that movie, Breakdown. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, but, like, he kept on having these surprise hits. Yes. And this was another one. Yes. And, like, uh, these movies were doing well, but it overperformed, right? And I think the other interesting thing is, not only do we have our boy, Kurt Russell, this is Snake Plissken. Yeah, right? I know. This that was is, the point. This is, like, yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. This is, like, the macho dude. And he is unmanned. Yes, for most of this movie. Yes. And he is humiliated for most of this movie. And when the payoff finally turns around and Ray Liotta starts finally getting hits, as an audience member, it gives you that, yeah, fuck you. You know, yes, like that. Yes. Like, uh, yeah. And even if the movie is, you know, completely, you know, familiar in its setup, the fact that the emotional reaction is that strong, the movie is working. Now, could you, if you were listening to this re- review and heard as much as you had now, Outline the entire story, yes. beginning to end, mm-hmm. and be correct. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is this a derivative by the numbers thriller? Yes, but it's incredibly well made and it's incredibly well great. acted. And what is your movie, and what is it trying to be? This is trying to be, you know, a suspenseful stalker movie that has something to say about macho tendencies and like male identity, and on every level. I think it knocks it out of the park. And you have Madeline Stowe, who has this benefit of being both incredibly talented and, like, off-puttingly beautiful. Yes. Like, we, she doesn't look like a person that would exist in the world. <laughs> yes, I know. She's, she's I know. one of these actresses who's just, just, like, next level. She's married to this actor, Brian Benben, who's a decent actor, but he's just, like, five-foot-nothing, strange-looking dude. I'm like, how did you score Madeline Stowe, dude? <laughs> I, I think it's the thing that, you know... We see this where men would have been intimidated to her. approach her, and then, you know, somebody else. You she's know. appropriate. She's good in the movie, although we get frustrated at her frustration with her husband. Yes. But uh, yeah. we're supposed to be. But um, you understand mm-hmm. why Ray Liotta is smitten with her right away. Oh, yeah. And you understand the lengths that Kurt Russell would be willing to go to protect his marriage. And a lot of that might just have to do with her physical beauty, but she's an asset to the movie. And she is very good in it. In a way, it's Kurt Russell's movie. It's 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 more about the conflict between Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell and, and Ray Liotta. Yeah. But she's solid as a rock too. Oh yeah, and I, I this was the first movie I saw her in. It was afterwards I I saw Shortcuts and Bad, Bad Girls, and you know there 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 were these different movies that she did. I, I want to shout out the director Jonathan Kaplan, who takes you know a, a formulaic idea and I think he he elevates it. I love that opening shot of. Uh, of the police cars and then driving off. And then we had that aerial shot of LA. I, I'm a bit of a sucker for, for LA in the early nineties and how it looked. And then we, we pan over and then we see this woman swimming in the swimming pool, which is Madeline Stowe. And that's, you know, and, and there is a pretty, um, I, I sound like such a, uh, whatever, but like the, 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 the sex scene in there oh, yeah. is, it, it, it was almost, it, you know, I, I hadn't seen Basic Instinct at that point. That was my idea with the ba- the Basic Instinct is way more graphic and way more yeah. out there and dramatic. But, I mean, this was a, a time where that level of sex was appearing Surprising. in studio films. and it, it's, um, pretty, it's pretty graphic. She's, like, riding on top of me and she's very naked. Yeah. But and then the Ray Liotta walks in. Yeah, I mean, so and it's, he, he humiliation, comes in, you know? the alarm has been set off, and he comes in. And he sees them, and he just stands there in the dark for a yeah. few seconds yeah, I before know. he turns his flashlight. So creepy, on. and it's super creepy. Yeah, it's an ex- you know, it's a sexy scene, and 
you know, we enjoy sex and violence. But they also incorporated a little plot thing. Yes, it, was, it wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't just a sex scene. No. Okay, it was a sex scene for the sake of a sex scene, but they also incorporated the thrill aspect to it. And I appreciated all of it. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think they, they found a way to justify it. But Okay, I'm happy because I wasn't sure how you felt about about this one. I'm, I'm happy that you like it. And, it's like three and a half stars. You know, I'm not like going to say it's the most amazing movie ever. Yeah, and I'm... I, nostalgia plays a big role yeah. here, so you're being a lot nicer to my nostalgia movie than I was to yours on on uh, on your show. But uh, yeah, I, I it probably is getting more points than maybe in hindsight it deserves. But I, I I just I just love this movie and nobody another one that nobody talks about anymore. People remember a hand that rocks the cradle and Basic Instinct and even like single white female from that that same year, but unlawful entry and that's. You know, well, some are filled with psycho thrillers. 30, 35 years old. You got to be something like a Tremors to really. Yes, I know. Yeah, like <laughs> something like the greatest <laughs> horror movie in the history of the 1990s. Good enough. Good enough. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Luke and the Heartthrob. Romina here? Who's that guy? He's yours. Don't gonna tell me. I heard from you over a year. Just took off. My son and I should be around him. I wasn't around my dad looked the way I turned out. How are you gonna take care of us? I can't think of another line of work that I'd rather be in. You're so smart, you can do anything you want. Just don't understand why you're doing this. I'm a cop, Jeff. Got a kid? You want to provide for that kid? You got to do that using your skill set. And your skill set? Shit, damn. All right, everybody who wants to live, put your hands in the fire! 105 in pursuit, suspect. 104, I got a big little motorcycle. Tom, it's for me. I'm still his father. I can give him stuff. I'm Officer DeLuca. We're here to search your house. What for? We're looking for the money that Luke Lanton, mayor, may not have given to you. 14 grand. The lion's share is going to our hero. This is your problem. This is our problem. And I'm bringing it to your attention because that's what I should do. I want to do two in one day. Yo, get up! I'm not going to let you bring us both down. There's a way out of this. You're not going to like it. Beyond the Pines, uh, a film that I saw in theaters, and there's a again first time watch for you, so I'm interested to get your take on it. Uh, this Derek Cian France, best uh, uh, attempt at the pronunciation, had worked with Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams on a movie called Blue Valentine, which I have seen. I, yeah, and I saw it once. I'd like to revisit it. I don't. I think I liked 
individual scenes between the, the actors, but I think maybe the story kind of got a little bit lost for me on that one. And so obviously we like working with Ryan Gosling because he, you know, put him in this movie. And the big thing is like Ryan Gosling and Brad, Bradley Cooper, two of the hottest young actors in Hollywood are, are in this movie together. Um, yes, we do have Ray Liotta. It was like, and Ray Liotta at yeah. the end of the credits we see. But seeing this in theaters, th- there were surprises to be had with this movie. I thought there was going to be a lot of screen time. Spoilers, there isn't. For Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper, there's a key moment for sure. And the three-act structure of the movie is kind of interesting. Problem with it, I guess, and I do like it a lot, and I think it's well executed, is we start off with this guy who, uh, you know, he's uh, kind of motor racer and he travels around with like kind of a, a, it's like a carny show or something like that. He just races dirt bikes. Yeah, he races these dirt bikes and, you know, in like the, I don't, I'm not using the technical terms, like the ball there where other people are and yeah. it's a miracle they don't crash into what each other. What do they call those spheres where they yeah. drive around in circles? Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Um, and then he comes to this town that he was at probably the year before. Uh, and then uh, Ava Mendez shows up and sees the show, and, and they have this little moment uh, together, and then she kind of goes back and says, oh, no, you can't come in. But then we discover that, in fact, like, they had had a fling before, and... He's father to son. He's the, Yeah, yeah, father to son. Uh, it was now being looked after by Mahershala Ali at the time I saw this. I hadn't... Like I saw the face, he was one of those those yeah, guys. He wasn't famous. Yet. Yeah, he, he really hadn't wasn't. won his two Academy Awards at that at that point, and he's a responsible guy. But now this is all changed for Ryan Gosling, and he's going to stay in in this this town, and he's going to have a relationship with this kid, and he's quit his job, and but then he's struggling to to get money. Um, then uh, he he runs into the wonderful actor Ben Mendelsohn. Mendelsohn. And this was actually, I think this was kind of a different role for him. I mean, like, he always plays kind of a, a, a darker, creepy guy here. But he's a guy who, you know, has very, like, he, he lives in this place where works on cars. And uh, he saw how fast Gosling is on his bike. Uh, and he offers him a, this trailer to stay in. And he can do a little, little bit of work. But he's not earning enough. And then he brings up this idea of being, robbing banks. But being disciplined about it. Don't do too much every once in a while, and that's how you never get caught. And, and, and he kind of trains him up on that. And it gets to this point where he's going to have to be providing some money if he wants to be part of this his, his, his son's life. And, uh, and then he starts quite successfully, and in very good, like these really well-thought-out well uh, bank robbery scenes uh, that are quite exciting. Uh, starts to commit these bank robberies, and he gets more cash, and he's buying, you know, buying things, and he's just trying to win Ava Mendez over and get rid of um, Herschela Ali. But, of course, different circumstances happen. happen. There's a bit of a violent streak in this guy, and uh, things kind of go downhill from there. That's the first act of the movie, and it is riveting. It is great filmmaking, well-written, wonderful acting. There is a point where... We change perspectives, and Bradley Cooper is int- is introduced, and we then focus on Bradley Cooper and less on Ryan Gosling. Okay, spoilers. Please pause. Yeah. Watch this movie, and then you know, then re- return to this review. Uh, Ryan Gosling 
his character is no more once we get to the second act. And then we see the story of this, this police officer who, uh, you know, basically murdered Ryan Gosling, but he's told the story around in the leg. He took around in the leg and he's become this hero. Yeah. Uh, and then we get Ray Liotta who shows up and some of his buddies and they are dirty cops. And they go in and they terrorize Ava Mendez and they're trying to find this money that Ryan Gosling stole, stole and they're, they're just horrible. But we get the charm of Leota, we get the villain quality, and a little bit of an older Ray Leota as well. And then we kind of see how Bradley Cooper and his father, who is a Supreme, or is a judge or, you know, something Justice, like that, yeah. State Supreme Court or something like that, how this leads into... Uh, having a very successful career in politics. That story, while it's interesting enough, is not as interesting as the Ryan Gosling story. Then we go to the third act, which is years into the future, and Bradley Cooper is trying to become the attorney, the attorney general after he's basically betrayed and lied to all of these people. But now we're looking at the next generation and this thing that happens that happens in the movies where we have... Ryan Gosling's son and Bradley Cooper's son meeting each other in, and they're both kind of outsiders in this high school, and things go pretty bad. Um, And that's the third act, and as much as, like, these young actors are are trying their best, that's the weakest act, I think, of the three. So we kind of get our, our, our first, say, half an hour, 45 minutes is amazing and it's diminishing returns for the rest of the film. Not enough for me to say I my thumb is down, but I really noted this time I, it was amazing how much I forgot. I saw it in theaters and it's been this has been a few years too how much I'd forgotten about this movie. But I I like it enough and Gosling is so good. Cooper's fine, but Gosling is so good and that opening sequence is so good. I could I, I can't not recommend this film. I think people should check it out and maybe see the whole three act structure and judge for yourself. But for me, you know, that that's, it's kind of more in between. And I feel like this could have been like up there as one of the best movies we're talking about. Instead, it's a, a better than average film. So that, that's my take on, um, it on feels, the place beyond the pines. It feels, I mean, it's an epic movie. It, it's long and it's telling a story over two generations. So it is by definition an epic movie. But it does feel, you're right, like three different movies. Like it either wanted to be a miniseries or mm-hmm. like a trilogy. Yes. Because the first act, succinctly by itself, this man discovers he's a father and wants to earn it and yeah. wants to do it, but he makes all of the wrong decisions and it ends tragically. That could be its own completely effective yes. movie. They could have expanded that to a 100-minute movie that would have completely subsisted by itself. It would have been a bummer, but it would have worked. Then you have the second movie about Bradley Cooper and him basically using this this shooting to escalate his career, yeah. but also, you know, dealing with the corruption around him and living with the fact that he killed a dude. And he killed a dude who was a father. Mm-hmm. And, like... And he has this guilt about it, yes. He does. Like, he doesn't feel great about it. No. And it was a pretty clean shoot, to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. you could debate it, but, like... Yeah. It was heightened circumstances, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think he was crooked in what he did, I guess is what, what I'm saying. Other stuff later on is crooked. but Later, yeah. But yeah. I mean the actual mm. shooting itself. It's because he shoots Gosling and Gosling fires the, the, the round after he's been hit. Mm-hmm. But he's standing in the window ledge with the gun in his hand. They're in hot pursuit. He appears in the doorway. They're going to shoot at each other. Yeah. Bradley Cooper fired first, ergo he won. Yeah. So like it, it seemed legit, but him that was a shocking moment. I mean, oh, yeah. I did not. I did not that. expect that when I, I don't know if you did, but no. I did not expect. That. I didn't know that again. I hadn't seen the movie before, <laughs> and I hadn't really heard much about it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wasn't expecting Gosling to be killed at all. That was shock- when he first went out the window. I was like, uh, I thought, well, he's going to be next scene will be in the hospital or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they did the pan shot over, and I'm like, that doesn't look like a hospital. <laughs> oh no, no, no. So then we get to the third movie. <laughs> so, so yes, like, yes. With Dane DeHaan, uh, who's a young actor who I really do like. He was in Chronicle and uh, Cure for Wellness. Yeah, great face. He's been having a really hard time because he keeps getting high-profile roles in movies that take huge bombs in the box. I know, I know. So I'm cheering for him. But you're right. Each each act in each mini-movie is slightly less good than the one that happens before it. I mean, fundamentally, I just, I guess, I agree with you on the structure standpoint. And the movie's got this sort of big ideas, sort mm-hmm. of like, what is your fate? Like, if you are a criminal biker dude, can you stop from being a criminal biker dude? And more than that, if your dad was a criminal biker dude, can you do anything but help <laughs> becoming a criminal biker dude? At the yeah. end of the movie, spoilers, Dane DeHaan buys a motorbike, drops out of school and drives out of town to yeah. basically become his father. And that doesn't suggest a bright future, right? <laughs> Not if he follows the exact same <laughs> path, right. unfortunately. Yeah. But so you got all this fate and fathers and sons and like these sort of big, big ideas. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know this director. I don't know what he went on to do. But like, it feels like it was so ambitious that he wanted to fit these three movies into one movie. And that made for a good, interesting, sprawling epic. But I think I agree with you that it might have been better as a trilogy or as a miniseries. Like, if you want to really set into these characters and show us the, the sweep of their lives and, you know, how their choices are their choices, but there's still something inevitable about their fates, all of it basically works. Um, but I think it lands on good instead of great. And it had these mm-hmm. ambitions of being something, like, truly mind-blowing, I think, you know. Um, and I don't dislike the movie. I, I'll be honest and say that I liked it considerably more than I was expecting. I do feel like, as far as going back to the Ray Liotta conversation, yes. this is the kind of role that Ray Liotta gets mm-hmm. cast in. Like we need it over we need and a, over again. We yeah. need a corrupt cop. We mm-hmm. need somebody who will be credible, both as someone who could be a cop but could get away with shit. This is something that Ray Liotta could do in his sleep. And I don't think he necessarily phones him in, but I, I don't feel like this was a stretch for him. By any stretch of the imagination. And he really is minor to the plot. He has a small portion in the second mini-movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been my choice for a Ray Liotta. Like, he was the antagonist of the second movie. He was the big bad in there. And, I mean, mean, we we are kind of wondering what's going to happen here because we, we start to go into the pines there. And he, he, he's driving and, like, he's following Ray Liotta into these woods knowing full well what could be happening to him and we've already seen one of our protagonists or characters we're following get Just off suddenly get so yeah. it is possible that okay let's you know get rid of bradley cooper and let's see where we go with the story next 
That might have been a more interesting idea, actually. It is know? true that early death does kind of take the rules out of the equation, yeah. so you can feel worried. There's for some Bradley suspense Cooper. in that scene, and then I I, I do kind of like how we go back there in the third story. And I mean, I'm being hard on the third story. I I work in a high school. I think they actually get a lot of things right about um, certain high school students and how those who are kind of outside of the whatever they meet each other and you know a negative and a negative is not necessarily going to lead to a positive i uh we're just so far from where we started by that point it feels like we're watching a different movie i guess that's not necessarily a bad thing but yeah. i go back to where i started like he was so ambitious with this like maybe it needed to be a mini series or a trilogy um or, or who knows, maybe that's not sustainable. I like the ambition of the movie. It, it, I like that they, the, the characters kind of hand the story over uh, every act, right? The first act is all about Ryan Gosling. The yeah. second act is all about Cooper. And the third act is all about their kids. Yeah. I mean, Cooper's still in the third act, but... Yeah, he's still there. I, I, I like the idea of... Uh, and it's, the payoff's kind of interesting. It probably is how it works. Entitled people tend to, you know, win in the end. But the fact that Cooper's kid is a psychopath and uh, just a horrible person, and then Gosling's kid is actually, you know, he's he's an outsider, he's misunderstood, but he's actually not a bad kid. But it's, he's it's know, in him though. It's it, it's in him for sure. Yeah, yeah. This director, I mean, after this, like he did some movie called Cage Fighter um, and The Light Between the Oceans, and he's gone on to TV stuff. So. You know, I think he had kind of two highlights in his career as a, as a director, and I think he was interesting. And I think you know, screenplay is interesting, and it was an attempt to do it. So it's not a it's not a bad movie. Um, if you're a fan of Gosling or you're a fan of Cooper, it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. Uh, it's not a bad movie. It's just again, it's very ambitious, and it might have too much in it. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, and and Leo is good though. I mean, he's a welcome presence. He comes in. And he has the charm early on. He's coming in and like messing with, you know, Cooper a little bit. And oh, could we borrow your husband to do some police work tonight? And then, oh yeah, okay, yeah, this is bad, Ray Liotta that we got in this movie. He's but again, if I want a moral, morally dubious, you know, cop Ray Liotta, I'm going to go to Narc, or I'm going to go. Yeah, to... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But but and, and again, it's to me, it's the, the the curse of Goodfellas is that he. This is what they would recommend him for. They weren't recommending him for other roles. Like, I mean, it does have a tough guy face, but I, I do. I appreciate the yeah. soft side to reload. Yeah. Well, really he was do. kind of a fresh faced guy in Goodfellas. He wasn't, you know, yeah. he, he came to be that character, but he, you know, in Goodfellas, he's not, he's not the heavy. He's the guy we're watching the story through those eyes. And later on, he became the Pesci or the, you know, um, type of a, a, a role there. But, uh, He's fine in the movie, but yeah. it's not his movie. It, it's not. And so this, you know, I guess this in Sin City, yeah. yeah, we're not Ray Liotta movies as such, but he's interesting in them. He didn't give an uninteresting performance that I can think I of. I can't think off the top of my head of a time where I saw Ray Liotta and thought, this is kind of flat, dude. Like, it probably happened, but I, don't, yeah. I can't think I, of I, I have some memory of him being in a really awful movie, like of some comedy or something. It was like, I don't know, one of the like SNL, but I, I, I can't think of it off the yeah. top of my head, but um, even then I probably would have been like, oh, thank God he's in here for a little bit so I can enjoy a scene or two. So You can relax when he's on screen. Yes, you, you can. I <laughs> I did, uh, you know. But yeah. he's not the reason to watch but, the movie. But he's, a, 
<laughs> Always excited when he shows up, so good enough. Unforgettable That's what you are I love you, David I love you, too Do you have any idea what went on here tonight? An unsolved murder Dr. Crane, you know, the medical examiner who murdered his wife? An innocent man. I didn't do it. Somebody else came into that room and killed my wife. So you didn't kill your wife. Go find the guy that did. And one woman who may hold the solution. To date, I've made successful transfers of neuroelectrical impulses. An experimental drug that can retrieve his wife's memories and prove his innocence. So you feel the transferred memory? Yeah, and lab rats. I'd be willing to try it. That would be completely irresponsible. Now, he's going to have to recall someone else's past. It works. It, it was like a, a, a raw experience. It was like I was actually there. You have no idea what you've done to yourself. Feel someone else's fear. What, what do you want me to do? I've got a new lead. That's him. You okay? You're bleeding. You keep this up. You get yourself killed. Is there any left? Is that all you care about? And relive the memory of someone else's death. You have to stop. You can't do this. I'm not going to stop until I catch the guy that killed my wife. Acclaimed director John Dahl takes us on a journey to a place where memories never die. Ray Liotta, Linda Fiorentino. Okay, so we're in the 1990s here, and I am a fan of Ray Liotta, and there was this movie, The Last Seduction, which came out, which introduced the world to Linda Fiorentino. That's and a wicked movie. It is, and uh, John Dahl is an interesting director. He also uh, did uh, Red Rock West, which is a movie I uh, tough to get a hold of. I have a DVD copy of it. I really like that one with Nicolas Cage, a great neo-noir um, so I'm excited about this director, Leota and Linda Fiorentino, and I, I'm a little bit of a sucker for like kind of different touches with the, the, the photography, as you know, Kevin, okay, in the 90s, I was an Oliver Stone fan, and so I, I saw a lot in the, in the trailer, in the coming attraction, to be excited about this movie, Unforgettable, and I, I didn't see it in theaters, but I remember renting it, and, you know, I, it wasn't as great as The Last Seduction or some of these others, but I enjoyed it enough, and then it seemed like went through decades where I heard nothing about it. It vanished. It vanished. <laughs> and then this Kino Lober, who have taken these movies that are kind of forgotten about um, for reissued. many like many decades, not just the 90s, but I'm partial to the 90s, and reissued them. And um, there was one of their sales, and I saw Unforgettable. I was like, oh, I need a physical copy of this. And I, I bought it in that sale. And it, I waited a long time because it's coming from the uh, excited states of America, and it arrived. And I, I watched it like as soon as I, as soon as I saw it, and I was like, "Yeah, there's some problems with it," but I'm so happy I have a copy of this movie now. 
And then I thought, well, you know, if I ever, I mean, I'm going to put it into some sort of a podcast at some point. Then Ray Liotta died, and I thought, I want this one in here. Uh, this and Goodfellas are the only two movies we're talking about where he really is it's the lead. His movie. There's an argument in identity that he's kind of the second to Cusack, I yeah. guess. Um, but no, this, this is, is very his much his movie. movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's an, kind of an interesting idea. He, he's, uh, I believe it's uh, Seattle. He's a police officer. And uh, he, he comes in and he kind of does a bit of the forensics on, um, and try to figure out about these crimes. Because we start off with this, this bloodbath type of a, a, a situation. And, and he comes in and he like, seems like he's a really, really good at what he does. But there's some sort of a tension around him. We're not quite sure, like what what the deal is there, um, but we know that there's something with his kids because we see a scene with his kids, and then he's giving his kids to his wife who has died, I believe the sister played by Kim Cattrall. I think this was shot in Canada. There's a lot of Canadian actors. We're going to be mentioning Kims, and we're going to be mentioning uh, the other Kim, very uh, near and dear to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada here. But you know, what, why aren't they talking? Like Kim Cattrall gives us this, you know. I hate you stare to Leota, like what's going on? And we soon discover that um, there everyone are people, assumes. everyone believes that he murdered his wife, but there wasn't enough evidence and he got away with it. Now, as I'm describing this, one of the big problems you're going to have with this premise, if you're thinking about it too much, is how is it that he's allowed to, he was a murder suspect, he's allowed to continue to work for the Seattle police force you know i don't know like if you're suspected of something and you're suspected of something but, but if you're not convicted of it then yes but he continues to work in a place where probably more than 90 percent of the people believe that he actually did this and, and he got away with it got a very clean clear motivation which i like mm -hmm. to exonerate himself yes. and find the actual killer yeah who spoilers is Kim? <laughs> well, Kim, well, yeah, he's well, sort of, yeah. Second. Um, yeah, and Kim Coates of Saskatoon <laughs> fame, uh, University of Saskatchewan drama department, and uh, and he's gone on to be a basically a character actor, a, a lot of Costner films, and he he plays a villain. And at this time, this is the heyday of him playing these, these so many scumbags. Villains. But yeah. he's definitely got due respect. That face, so yeah. he's got that. That guy looks like a criminal. Yeah, and he's, he's Sons nice of guy. Anarchy was a big. I know people I've worked with. They, they love him on that show. He's been in a lot of a lot of stuff, and he still comes back to Saskatoon and contributes. I think he was doing appearances in the last week or or so here at some opening for something or another. So, um, yeah, I, I I I I I like him. I not a stretch for him. Not a stretch for him, and. Unfortunately, like there's a lot of good scenes with him, but he is part of probably one of the most problematic, over-the-top sequences in the film, um, kind of in the second act there. But uh, I still welcome presence. A lot of people are a welcome presence in this movie. The part that's that's out there is uh, Linda Fiorentino is doing these experiments on rats. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, this, this idea of that you could actually. Uh, go in and relive the last moments of b before this, like the death of somebody. And uh, Leota finds out about this and he's desperate to solve uh, the murder of his wife and exonerate himself. And he does some very bad things eth ethically, steals from her, 
and actually like gets like the part of the like the the brain. I don't know how to describe it's like this the fluid from brain the brain. fluid from the brain where the the memories are still alive even if the person is dead and injects and if he sees he 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 sees um, that first murder scene has a purpose because we see what happened at that at that murder and he's able to solve the crime because of it and then he thinks okay if I can find a way to like figure out find this guy maybe either get his his brain matter or kill him and play by coats and then watch him killing my my wife then I can exonerate myself and we but go again, on this kind of convoluted journey with if this. it sounds ridiculous it's it, because it, it is it ridiculous is fucking ridiculous yes but I like it if, I, we, if we go back to my review of identity yeah. I feel like this is the same review I like John Dahl I like Linda Fuentino, and I love Ray Liotta, but I have some serious problems. With yeah, this movie. I, the, the the plot is the part that's going to going to lose you a little bit. And, Again, you know. we talked about if you're going to have a premise that's ridiculous, keep things fucking moving. Mm-hmm. The movie that this made me think of strangely is a Jake Gyllenhaal movie, Source Code. Oh yeah, I seen, still haven't seen that one. Well, the premise is uh, he gets. Put inside the head of someone who's on a train that's about to explode. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he's yeah. got the last six minutes of this guy's life, or whatever it is. I can't remember the exact time, but mm-hmm. he's got a certain amount of time inside this guy's head before the train explodes. And in that tiny window, he has to figure out where the bomb is and who planted it. Mm-hmm. And it resets. He gets blown up every six minutes, or whatever it is. And the movie moves so quickly and is presenting you with so much sci-fi that you don't have time to think. An unforgettable. We have a lot of time <laughs> to think about. Yeah, the, the, and the pacing whole, issues for like, sure. Linda Florentino, especially at the time, super hot actress, and like I like her, but I do not believe this. Like even a little bit. Like the brain fluid that they he steals, like his wife's brain fluid that they still had in some fucking shelf somewhere. <laughs> and the evidence, yeah, that's and then right, he yeah. injects himself with it, yeah. and because it works on rats, it works on him too. Yeah, and then he's probably more and more memories in his head and. It gives them opportunities to do these flashback sequences. And, and those are shot well. I, I, I like those. And I like John Dahl's presentation of mm-hmm. it. But I I look back at The Last Seduction and Red Rock West, which are the two movies he did previous yeah. to this. And holy shit, is this ever a step down. Like, both in the screenplay and everything. It's nice to see him with a budget. And it's nice mm-hmm. to see him with a cast. And I think Ray Liotta especially is playing the shit out of Fiorentino. Oh, he's good. He's good. Fiorentino, I think, is struggling with her what she's being what, asked what? to sell. But Liotta is... Never not credible. No. And the movie is insane. And we see it through his eyes, so yeah. we have to believe him. Um, that's but how even, good he is. From the first scene on, he's... he's so even accepting the premise. Mm-hmm. If he injects himself with his wife's brain fluids and sees the <laughs> actual killer, what then? He yeah. goes to the police and says, I injected my wife's brain fluid into my body, and now I know who the real killer is. <laughs> yeah. Believe me. Yeah. It's completely I know, I know. ridiculous. I know, I know, it is. And it never stops being completely <laughs> fucking ridiculous. I have respect for the straight face with which all of the people play it. And it is, just like I said with identity. It, I mean, it's not boring. It moves, I would like the first act to move faster than it does. Yes. But as it sort of Establishing spirals, that relationship with yeah. Fiorentino, yeah. But as it sort of gets to the third act... It's diverting, and it is superficially entertaining. But again, compared to what John Dahl had done before this, and considering the cast that he had here, I can't help but feel disappointed overall with mm-hmm. the movie. But, I always have to throw in a but, 
it has this quality of being insane. Yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> it is. Which I actually kind yeah, of appreciate. Yeah. It. It's a big like, swing type of exactly. idea. Yes, yeah. like this was nothing if not ambitious. <laughs> like and like. <laughs> I see, like, typing this out and, like, thinking, like, wow, this is... No one's seen a movie like this yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. But there's, there's probably a reason, John. There's probably <laughs> yeah, a reason. Yeah, yeah. But I so, think it's so I, nuts. Like, I, it sounds awful as I'm trying to do... Stumble through the plot synopsis here, but... While it's happening... Check it out. I mean, you know, you, you, you kind of go along with it for a while, you know? While it's happening, it feels good. Yeah, and it does. afterwards, there's shame. It's yeah. like masturbating. <laughs> So, uh, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to tell anyone. Don't watch Unforgettable. But even if you enjoy it, you might feel it's a little guilty. The first time that a movie I've reviewed on the shelf shedding movie show has been compared to masturbation, well, and we tied a Madeline Stowe movie in this episode. So, and it wasn't that movie. It wasn't that movie. Um, here's here's where I'll defend Fiorentino. Okay. At that time, I don't mean to be mean about it. And like, like there's a missing persons alert for her because she's she go? very good. But she was asked after the last seduction to play sexy. Like I remember that Gary Shandling movie um, uh, that she was in. What planet are you from, or something like that? Oh, yeah, yeah she that was movie. in that, and she was just playing a two dimensional or maybe one dimensional sex object in that movie. Here, this is the same director as Last Seduction, but playing the polar opposite. And I mean, it, it shows it what a good actor she is. She's warm and likable in this movie. She's warm, she's warm and likable. She's not calculating. She's a nice person. Yeah. Um, you know, she want you know, she wants things to work out, but she also cares deeply about her research and uh, is believable in that way. Is she as exciting as she is in the last seduction? Not at all. Like she, you know, and she has that was a tour sell. de force performance. That was the the high mark of her career. Um, and you know, it's. Um, oddly enough, it was a show on my underrated 90s show that was one of those weird points, conglomerations, where it was the movie that left my collection. Oh, no. But it's a better movie than, than this, for sure. But I, I like that, you know, it showed what else she can do, and I wish people would find her and put her in something now. Because I'm one of these actors was, who... Uh, very difficult on the set of Dogma, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think she was a solid actress, but you're right. She seemed to be around in the 90s and then kind of disappeared. Yeah. Like um, a lot of actors. I mean, I didn't mean to be mean about her performance. I think because she's responsible for selling the most incredible corners of the yeah, screenplay, yeah. it's just a tougher job. Yeah. It's one of those things. I always go back to uh, David Strathairn. Yeah. They hired David Strathairn for the remake of Godzilla. He's leading the military and he's telling Godzilla's sighted off of the port bow or whatever. Yeah. Like you need someone one million percent credible. Yes. Like, like yeah. to deliver this kind of dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we talked about in my podcast uh, that Dark Skies movie. Yes. Where they got J.K. Simmons to be yes. the crazy alien abduction guy. Yeah. You believe him because it's J.K. Simmons. Yes. If you just throw that to a, a lightweight actor, they're going to have trouble. I yeah. really do believe. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's necessarily her. I think that she's she's choking down some tough dialogue here. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the Canadian content in this movie. And again, I think it was a decent attempt. And I, I it's not as much nostalgia as Unlawful Entry, but I think the fact that it was a movie that disappeared for a while and I was longing to have in my collection, that's why I'm probably giving it more points or defending it a little bit more... I should, but I 
I recognize this movie has some problems, it's and there's goofy. a reason that Unforgettable is kind of a forgettable movie. When it works, it's because of Ray Liotta, by the yeah. way. Uh, and it doesn't always work for me. I, I, I can't pretend that it always does, but he's got this energy, and you really... You know, you you know that he's an innocent man and he's been wronged and he's being fucked by all the social yeah. circles around him and you, mm. you cheer for him and he gets you through the movie. I feel like if the central of performance was also weak on top of the script, oh, it'd be uh, we would be completely pointing. Yeah. No, this would be this nowhere. <laughs> um, I know it was shot probably in the Vancouver area because we have the cigarette smoking man from X Files shows yeah. up in a. Uh, a small role as uh, as a uh, doctor at the beginning. Um, one thing that was kind of nice, Christopher McDonald right. is in the film. He gives a good performance. He, he's a solid actor. Kind of the sneaky big bad. Yeah, and <laughs> um, like he's very much an antagonistic relationship with Ray Liotta. But uh, the movie at points leads us to think that he's behind. And I'm glad, you know, spoilers for it, but that the payoff is that he's not actually... You know the big bad. He he's actually trying to. He's an adversary, the case. but yeah. he's not. He's not the. But, villain. but he's he's one of these guys who's set on the idea that Leota got away with murder. Yeah, and so he, he, he really started has no time his investigation from the premise. Yeah, Leota did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so it looks like he's trying to screw with him a little bit. But I, I like that because in most of the movies he t- ends up being the guy who's. You know the villain, and we're not surprised at all by that. Yeah. So I, I was happy to see that piece of casting, and and then it, I like the actor, but he's got a bit of a game show host vibe. <laughs> he I, does. I mean, which he didn't he in Requiem for a Dream, wasn't he a game right. show host? So. Well, again, he yeah. does. He has that bit of like maybe used car salesman yes. game show yes. sort of yes. chachi vibe to him. So you don't want to trust him. Yeah. And they kind of use that. It was smart casting. Yeah, it, it was. So I think there are. Some good things in here. You know, I don't know. It sounds like your thumb is down probably on this Similar one a little bit more. Similar to identity. Like, I want to have my thumb up, yeah. but there's enough wrong with the movie yeah. that I have a hard time. Who would I recommend this to and then be not a little bit red-faced afterwards? Yeah. So, what did you think of Unforgettable? Was, yeah. Well, it was kind of crazy. I, 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 <laughs> I, keep, I keep saying you can recommend it to Jason Dubray. But that's right. I and, don't need to recommend this to and you. And to Lee Beckman. And that's <laughs> it. Yeah. Or yeah. if you like Ray Liotta. Like, as a, if you want to see, because this is his movie. Yes. Warts and all, it's yeah. his movie. And be, it works enough because of him. Yes. But, I mean, I, I couldn't help you. Again, I, it's my fault. I love John Dahl. Like, I like I thought Red Rock West and The Last Seduction. Yeah. Tough little thrillers, <clears throat> but they have a very distinct identity. Yeah. And he wanted to do something different. He wanted to do something ambitious. And he had a budget to play with. And... You know, this is what we have, but now he's, it was a swing. he's mostly a TV director now, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, he's a good enough TV director. He worked on Dexter and shows like that, but yeah. I, you know, I, I, I thought he was kind of going to go on to, like, a, him and Fiorentino were going to go on to bigger better and better things. things, and this was kind of like, this was kind of a bit of a downfall in his career, um, which is unfortunate, unfortunate, but yeah, Leota, and it was still the 90s, and there was still the, the nostalgia of Goodfellas in there. And, then, and so they were willing to give Leota a lead role, and there weren't many times he was allowed to have a lead role. And I think that's a mistake. I think he needed, you know, Narc in, in this, and there was the odd one here or there, but he, I, I would have liked to see more movies where he was the lead actor. He could carry it. Yeah. Should have happened, and I I know it. there would have been some, like, amazing role, and be like, oh, yeah, we, we've been overlooking this guy for... 
a generation. Mm-hmm. Let's now get on the bandwagon and give him the career Oscar or give him the accolades he's always deserved. And that didn't happen. And I always feel kind of sad when that, you know, as we're going to be going into the points now, because this is the last review, this is kind of a, a thought on Leota. It's, it's kind of sad to me that I, I still think he's underrated. He never completely got his due. Even in Cocaine Bear. I mean, not that Cocaine Bear is bad or anything like that, but it's it's kind of a cartoon movie. It is, yeah. Uh, and, and he's playing another one of his bad guys. And is but he's like, funny in it as well. Scared of yeah, yeah. But he is solid as a fucking rock. Yes. And that's what I will always say about Ray Leota. Unforgettable is a very forgettable movie in some ways. But the cast <laughs> is strong. It was a big swing. And it's got this weird, crazy 90s vibe to it. Yeah. And if you like that type of movie, I, I do. do think you'll enjoy this movie. But if I'm being honest, it's got as many problems as it does, you know, positives. It, 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 it does, yeah. But, yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy movie, and I like crazy movies. What happened? What happened? Are you all right? Yeah. Well, no, who did, who did what? This guy who lives across the street from me that I've known all my life. What did... He started to touch me. He started to grab me. I told him to stop. He didn't stop. I hit him back. And then he got really angry. (laughs) He pushed me out of the car. You sure you're all right? Huh? Why don't you go inside and get yourself together? Clean up. What do you want, fucko? You want something? Hey! my fucking mother if you touch her again you're dead larry parsons thank you so much i've appreciated your friendship and i mean i every time i'm on i'm I'm saying this or i'm on your show but we go through some stretches of time in the year where we're not able to talk about movies and then there's this point in the middle where i'm I'm sad. Like, I wish I could talk to Larry about a movie today or something like that. You don't have to always do it on the record. Yeah, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We could just get together for coffee or something like that. But, um, yeah, but I, you know, I'm I'm so happy you're able to to come back on the show here. And I appreciate you uh, and your support. Every episode you do a shout out. And I do a shout out for for Rank and Review here. And we'll talk about Rank Review at the end of this point's experience in a moment here. But thank you for coming back on. For sure, no problem. I, I like being here, and I feel like I've owed you one for a while. So, well, I don't know about that. I mean, I and I hope I wasn't too hard on some of these movies for you. I Again, I was trying to watch them through the prism of Ray Liotta, and, and some of yeah. them that was harder than others. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, that's the theme of the show that we're going with here. Yeah. And so, um, and yeah, it seems like when I'm on, I'm, I'm a bit kinder to the movies that we're talking about. But there have been some stretches of time where I felt like a really like grumpy old film critic in the last uh, the last ten shows or so that I've done here. So I was, um, I was worried you might be hurt your feelings with yeah. identity, but I think we got through it. We got no, through. no, this was not so like some of the blow ups that we used to, before I had a podcast of my own, and I felt like we were doing Siskel and Ebert or something like that. So I felt like 
how could you possibly do this? And talking, having yeah. like serious fights about Tom Cruise and Julian Moore for some reason. <laughs> Coming to blows over David Lynch. Yes. And then Natalie Portman. <laughs> Natalie Portman was the ultimate. You do we, not. We talk. actually had to stop you and talk record. Shit yeah. about, and Natalie Portman. <laughs> we had to stop and record the end of the show the next day. <laughs> Good memories. Healthy, good, good, healthy, 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 healthy. Yes. So, all right. So I'm going to get your points yes. here, and then we'll see how this goes here. So we're going to start off with this underrated movie called Goodfellas. How many points did you give that? I gave it 15 points, um, and uh, that's the most points I allotted any film. So I, I'm, I'm thinking it would be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. Uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Goodfellas, and if it wasn't at the top of your list, we would have another fight. We, we would probably get. Yeah, like, look, you'd hear the punches happening. I here. know you love unlawful entry, and you got to see Madeline Stowe's take ass bitties, <laughs> but. Good fellas, dude. Good fellas. <laughs> Speaking of unlawful entry. Oh, oh but oh, Sin, sorry, you got next movie is Sin City, a name Sin to kill City, for. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I gave that ten points. Okay. Um, I don't know. It it is what it is. Yeah. If you want another Sin City movie, there it is. I yeah. mean I, I I'm not passionate about it. And then identity. Seven and a half. Points. Oh, you're giving half points. All right. Is that allowed? That is allowed. It has uh, happened before. Yeah, yeah. Seven and a half. A couple of, I gave two of them seven and a half. Mm. Uh, they kind of, the sameness. Same idea. Yeah. I think you know what the other one is. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then we get to unlawful entry. Which I gave 10. Uh, it's just a very solid example of a fairly derivative sort of stalker movie, but it's, it works. Like, there's a reason these things are popular. And, yes. Uh, if you're into the, you know, you can only watch Fatal Attraction or The Hand That Rocks Cradle so many times. If you haven't seen Unlawful Entry, it's a completely viable Oh, it, it is. People should check it out for sure. Uh, the Place Beyond the Pines. I also gave 10. I appreciated its ambition. It didn't 100% work for me, but I liked what it wanted to be. I liked, liked the ambition of it. and the, There's good acting. I agree with you. The later into the movie we get, the less interesting it is. But it's yeah. not not interesting. Yeah. So. yeah. And then Unforgettable. Seven and a half. Those, they, they sort of shared the bottom spot for me, Identity and uh, Unforgettable. It's interesting because the things I like and dislike about those two movies are kind of similar. I like the cast. I like the director. I like what they're kind of trying to do. Yeah. But there's something essential missing and a percentage of crazy. Yeah. Like, they felt so similar to me that in a weird way, I felt like I was given the same review <laughs> twice. So Yeah, I... Well, yeah. And that's interesting because we didn't always, well, I mean, other than the gangster cop trend in his career, but that there were, yeah, there were some similarities in projects over the years there. So but I know you like Identity and Unforgettable, so if I end up making one of those two movies leave your collection, I will feel guilty. I well, I mean, I, I liked all of them, so this is going to this is gonna be interesting I feel here. the least essential movie, in a weird way, is kind of Sin City. Because it doesn't have as strong an identity as identity and unforgettable, <laughs> but like uh, I think in a weird way, it's better at being what it is. Yeah, so that's well, my, I mean that's my ranking. This is going to really shock you that we aren't completely on the same page with all these <laughs> as somebody who's been zero for six on your show at least once officially, and almost two zero. or three times has been one out of six, <laughs> and we're yeah twice it was called as as being. Uh, Oh, oh, for six there. Oh, we're going to agree on good fellas, right? I, yeah, we are. I, in fact, um, I gave it more points than you did. I ate 18 points, which is the, the bulk of the points, obviously. So I gave 18 points to good fellas. Bonafide classic. Nobody can argue with that. One of the best movies yeah. of the 90s. Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, I gave six to. I, 
again, I like the Sin City movies. I enjoy it. I don't think it's as bad as its rap, but it's, you know, yeah, I, I, I think it is a, a more minor film of the ones that we're talking about here. I gave eight, Identity eight points, um, and I, I like it. I mean, you know, I saw more problems with it. I feel like it was on the defense for that one because right. I knew that you were... I came out swinging. Yeah, so um, <laughs> but I didn't give it as many points as all that, but I, 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 I'd I, love to revisit that one. Unlawful Entry, 13 points. It was going to be number two. Um, so it was just inevitable, and, you know, uh, it's not a perfect movie. None of these are perfect movies. I... I pointed out one flaw with uh, Goodfellas. So, um, but yeah, there, there's probably if you want to have your arms crossed with that movie, you can have your arms crossed. But um, I'm always excited to revisit that one. I like to go, bet- you know, a few years between, so I can rediscover and try to remember the experience of seeing it the first time and the different things I've shocked by that if I saw it for the first time at 44, nearly 44 years old, right. I wouldn't be as shocked by. I'd be able to see uh, the formula. Um, the Place Beyond the Pines, I gave eight points to. Uh, I, you know, maybe a little bit unkind to the third story, but the first one was so good that I felt like this movie had the potential to be, you know, a, kind of an underrated classic. And I think it's it's a very good movie. But not, not seeing it coming to the Gosling <laughs> death has impact. That, that was. I mean, for us, we watch a lot of movies, not to, you know. Yeah. And it was advertised. I remember the marketing, like it, it was like a heat type of a thing with, you know, he is the main De Niro character type for like of almost an hour, right? He's yeah, yeah, he is. more or I less mean, the main character yeah. for the first hour. I, mean, I would say like he deserves, even though he's only in one of the, the three parts, He, to me he's the lead. And like when we lose him, we lose a lot. So yeah. Gosling was very good in that movie. Um, and then Unforgettable, yeah, I'm playing a little bit of defense on it, but I actually gave it less points than you did. I gave seven points to it. So where that leaves us is a, a real shock that Goodfellas is the top movie here with 33 points. Well, yeah, that's the I'll good be keeping Goodfellas. <laughs> and then Unlawful Entry, 23 points, was uh, was second place. All, all the way in third place, The Place Beyond the Pines with uh, 18 points. And then it's really close. Fourth is Sin City, A Dame to Kill For with 16 points. Uh, fifth place is Identity with 15 and a half points. And unforgettable, 14 and a half points. By one point, it is the movie that must leave my movie collection. That's the order that I have them in as I wrote them down. So if I was doing If it was rank and review, that's how you would have... So you, yeah, you got it exactly right there. So as my guest, you have to decide what happens to Unforgettable. Well, I don't have a copy of Unforgettable, and I could review it on rank and review and maybe discover more. Uh, in future, if you're willing to do it that. It feels like, uh, like a, a, genuine, a crazy 90s type of a, uh, I feel bad because I know that you really like this movie. I do. You, you excitedly ordered a, a DVD copy. Maybe, would it be cheating if like some Christmas or your birthday it was like re-gifted? Well, <laughs> spoilers for, there was a guest I had. Uh, no, I know there's no guarantee it will be this episode who had this idea of a reverse thing where once I get probably it's going to be my 70, 70th episode where uh, we're going to draw six episodes and whatever was the movie that left my collection, there's an opportunity oh. for uh, something to one of the movies would re-enter my collection, be re-reviewing six movies with this particular guest. There's a chance it might be this one if, you know... This episodes get drawn out. So if that doesn't happen, and yeah, Christmas or whatever, birthday, or, you know. But I, I, I really like, first, like if there's a chance for you to review it on Rankin Review, 
um, go for that, yeah. you know, for sure. I but just feel weird taking stuff from my friends. Yeah, man. no, it's but all good. It's like you've given me stuff, and <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a back and forth thing. And usually, when you're a guest on here, you, you take at least one of the movies, and <laughs> I know it's in a, a good home. I took my least favorite of the movies, but uh, <laughs> to be fair, uh, of the movies we reviewed this week, yeah. uh, I, uh, the only two that I didn't have in my collection were The Place Beyond Pines and, and, and this uh, one, yeah. Unforgettable. So. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, I will, I will steal your movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I will be fair enough. Yes, <laughs> that's a premise. That's that, this is the bed I have to lie in because I created this, this idea. This your idea. This is my idea. So. <laughs> You know, that's how it goes. It is often a really good movie that leaves when, but I guess I, I, I bring out a good show. Like I don't bring out like the, the ones where there's a very obvious dud. In yeah. The, in, you have five movies and then, and then there's something the that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to get my VCR going. <laughs> I screen that some nights. <laughs> So, just open the podcast saying, first of all, I'm really sorry about you. <laughs> Which guest am I going to have for that? It should be you, I guess. But yeah. Anyway, um, what's happening with Rankin Review? The new season is out. Season 10. Congratulations season, on that. I'm not sure when this is dropping, but yeah, by in September, Rankin Review officially turns 10 years old. Wow. And we're just starting the 10th season. The first episode of the season is with... Your esteemed host, Mr. Jason Debray, where we're talking about alien abductions, and it's a very solid episode, a good opener. So please check out Rankin Review, RankinReview.ca. And I'm I always feel like honored when you have me as like either the like the last one of a season or the first one of the season. <laughs> so it's like the first probably five, six times I was on your show, I thought, I suck. It's so bad. <laughs> I love this, but I suck and it's so bad. I'm the worst guest that he has, and so obviously I've I've grown up, but You've been on the podcast an awful lot. I think that's pretty good evidence that you're, yeah. you're not a bad guest. Yeah, but yeah, I'm you wouldn't to, ask me back if I was. <laughs> I'm hoping to get you to do a, a ranks of the best movies of the 20 teens. Yeah, us. I've been already working hard on that for. That's cooking. Yeah, I have uh, <laughs> a few blind spots there, so I'm starting with those, and then I have it's a large list already of my it's crazy tough, yeah, tough, tough yeah, list. Yeah. It'll be interesting. That that'll be epic. So that's something to to listen for in in the future on Rank and Review. But check out that show uh, it, every two weeks on every uh, Wednesday. Week. Every other week on Wednesday it drops. And uh, yeah, I, I've listened to every episode that you've ever had. And I I was I was missing. This was the probably the the first time I got completely caught up, and I actually had to wait <laughs> for an episode for a long time between episodes. Here, I wanted so. to get started earlier in the spring, but life got in the way. So. Yeah, that's that's how, how it goes for sure. I also want to mention, uh, you know, uh, Kirk Fitzpatrick's show, uh, Lifetime of Hallmark, and I think he's part of this season, as I understand it. So yeah. he's daring to review the movies that. I would not lower myself. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he did an episode with me. It's going to be, I think, four or five episodes from now, but uh, animated fantasy movies. So yeah. we're going out of our regular kind of yeah. wheelhouse for like movies like Kubo and the Two Strings and The Last Unicorn and yeah. Secret of Nim. Nice. So uh, it's a different episode, but a good one too. So it should be good. Put it in your ears. Yes, for sure. And then I also mentioned Film Feast and uh schlock and awe as well and uh friends of the show and uh please please check those uh those podcasts out we're all independent podcasters we do it for the love of film nobody's making money in fact we're all losing money on this uh, gig but it's uh it's just fun to get together with friends and talk about movies and 
you know, I always end off with, you know, be safe and be kind to one another. I, I, I keep saying it because I really want people to be kinder to each other. But I also want people to support the movies, uh, older movies and, and current movies and keep movie theaters alive. I know it's annoying. People are act stupid in movie theaters now. But I, I, I would really hate to see the day where we no longer have movie theaters. Agreed. Uh, and no longer have physical media and... We're in kind of this crucial time with the writer strike and AI scripts and and all that, which I I, I don't mean to be a, like a doomsday type of a guy, but I I'm getting nervous about the direction that we're going in uh, with cinema. And strange times. It is strange times, and I I hope we come out of the other side of this soon. So please support movies like the ones we're talking about, and even if it's a movie that I don't like, Larry doesn't like. It's worth a day in court. Yep. We don't want movies to disappear, and I think we're we're being set up with a world where some movies are going to disappear, and that's really tragic. They're becoming so. disposable, and it's too bad. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.